the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast. I am Nick DiGilio. I am your host. How are you? We are on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network in the world. Please check out all the other great, entertaining, informative, and uh, fantastic podcasts right here at RadioMisfits.com. And please take the time to rate and review us all on every single platform where you can find us and get the feedback, too. Uh, you want to uh, give us some feedback here on this uh, podcast, the Nick D Podcast? Leave us your voicemails anytime you want. 24-7, those lines are open. We listen to every single one of them and play many of them back. Leave your voicemail at 773-417-6948. You can drop us an email 24-7 with your thoughts and your comments and your suggestions and your magic megaphone requests to hear on the podcast. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Want to be a sponsor? Contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. It is episode number 104. It's a special episode. Um, Esmeralda's taking the day off because uh, it's going to be a longer, a little bit longer of an episode than usual, a little bit longer, uh, because Eric Childress and, and, um, and Steve Procopi are joining me. They are my movie critic buddies, and we are going to do the entire wrap-up of the year 2022, in which I saw, I don't know, 300 or some movies. Eric and Steve and I review the movies every other Friday uh, during the podcast uh, year, and um, and now we're going to talk about the entire year. Uh, we are going to go through all the best movies of 2022, Steve's best, Eric's best, my best, and we'll quickly go through the worst and do a little preview of what we're looking forward to in this year, 2023. So the big movie 2022 wrap-up is what's happening on the show uh, today. Uh, and Hi, also, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Remember to get your tickets to see us at Zany's live with Dwayne Kennedy, one of the greatest comedians of all time. It's live. It's interactive. We're going to be giving really cool stuff away. It's at Zany's in Rosemont, one of the greatest places ever. We had a blast last time. Let's pack the place, be a part of a live recording. Get your tickets now. It's Tuesday, January 17th. Starts at 7.30. Tuesday, January 17th, Zany's in Rosemont. Nick D. Show live. Me, Esmeralda, Dwayne Kennedy live. My dad telling jokes. It's going to be great. Be a part of it. Let's pack the place and have a blast. Uh, we got a lot of really cool stuff to give away, uh, including Nick D podcast T-shirts, courtesy of MyBasement.biz, uh, and uh, Nick D show uh, coffee mugs and all kinds of other really cool stuff. Zanies in Rosemont, Tuesday, January seventeenth. Unbelievably fun show that you have to be at. Get your tickets now. Rosemont.zanies.com. Rosemont.zanies.com. The Nick D podcast live, Tuesday, January seventeenth. Also, you can call the box office at eight four seven eight one three zero four eight four. We will see all of you packing that place. On January 17th. All right. Uh, a special edition. Episode 104 is a very special edition. The Year in Movies 2022. And uh, that's all coming up right after I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jack 
You know that theme. That theme means it's time to talk movies. But this episode is not just any movie episode. It's not just uh, reviewing the regular movies and having some fun and stuff like that. Although we are going to do that. We're going to review a lot of movies. But not new movies. Um, It is time to talk about uh, the end of the year. It's the beginning of a new year, obviously. You know that. So we're going to wrap up and talk about the year in movies for 2022. Uh, the best. We'll talk a lot about that. We've got the worst in here uh, and maybe whatever else comes up. Uh, and we'll also talk a little bit about what we're looking forward to in the coming year of, of 2023. So let me say hello to my usual guys here. Uh, Eric Childress. Hello, Eric. Hello. And uh, Steve Procopi. Hi, Steve. Hello. All right. Uh, all right, Eric, uh, tell everybody where they can see you and read you in podcasts and writing and all that stuff. Yes, uh, just like soon for you, Nick, I have two podcasts that are currently going. Uh, the Movie Madness podcast is uh, returning this week. Uh, Steve Procopi is a regular guest on that, uh, as well as The Friendship Dilemma that I do with uh, Morgan Geyer. And we finally just dropped our Clerks 2 episode last week, so that is live now as well. Okay. And uh, Steve? Yes, uh, you can read my reviews at thirdcoastreview.com, and you can find me... Pretty consistently yeah. these days, the music box theater, right. uh, mostly watching Billy Wilder movies or Giallo films in the month of January. So right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> well, the Billy Wilder goes all the way through February, so that uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you'll be seeing a lot of me, especially well, both of those events. Uh, so anyway, and as well as yeah. all the other great stuff that the music box shows. So all right, well, um, every year we we we've, we've been doing this, and uh, and Eric, with you, how many years have we been without without that? Uh, two-year break that i had when i was yeah in, when i was in weirdo <laughs> when i was in weirdo land what uh mm-hmm. where uh how, how many how long we've we been doing this well i mean i started on your show in night like the end of 99 and i jesus think we, christ yeah what? seriously wow. and um i think that you you first like invited me into the show um to, to do to do the year-end stuff like 2001 or 2002 i think was okay. the first year we officially did it in studio and did a full year wrap-up wow okay so over 20 years yeah that's fucking crazy man i know wow okay all right um <laughs> well uh steve few years for you i mean i've known you forever because you know we've known each other a lot through through flashback because we right which is we, 20 years this year so 20 years yeah <laughs> And then uh, you've been—you were a regular part of my show for just a couple of years, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not even sure it made two two full years, but yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, was, right. I was there. All right. Well, we're here to to, to sum it up uh, before uh, we get started uh, giving our lists, and we're going to tell you what we thought were the 20 best films of 2022 and the 20 worst films of 2022, uh, and we will have discussions about the best films uh, and just and a very brief sort of fun fun discussions about how bad some of the other movies were uh, that came out this year. But uh, just briefly, I want to get what you guys thought of the year in general. If you had to uh, just sum up or, uh, you know, judge the year of uh, 2022. Eric, what did you think of the film year of uh, 2022? We need more comedies. That, that's uh, what I think. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm looking at the, the, the list of even like the, that we're going to be reviewing today. And even though there are a lot of movies that were very funny, last year so many of them were sort of steeped in darkness and sadness and a lot of really 
other things that weren't just the sort of the traditional we're going to go to have a laugh type movie uh but very a particular couple on my list and i'm sure on everybody's list that are just sort of like funny sad dark disturbing uh so but like not a lot of just straight comedies sometimes literally <laughs> well so, it'll be funny um, because it'll, it'll be, I, I agree with that i absolutely i'm looking at my list too and our lists are obviously not going to be the same clearly that's why we're doing this because it's fun yeah. to talk a lot about it <laughs> but uh the other thing is what's going on there <laughs> that's that was, not me okay. that was that was my uh sherwood forest ringtone oh okay i thought for a second i thought for a second the aliens were coming to get you and and uh <laughs> Uh, you know, all right. So anyway, um, all right. Uh, so, uh, uh, Steve, what about you? Your thoughts on, uh, on, on 2022? Well, I, I agree on that, on that fourth, but I mean, this was just sort of a, we finally like, this was kind of a reset year, I think in terms of like post pandemic stuff, like we finally were sort of getting bad. We're still not quite there yet, but, but at least the music box, honestly, 2022 was one of our best years ever. And um, and our biggest movie of the year, believe it or not, was actually the 70 millimeter licorice pizza um, from the year before. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but our second biggest was the Northman, which I didn't even realize until today. But um, like, it was just like a reset year and we had to sort of rediscover the formula um, to get people to come back. And apparently the answer to that, the formula is old movies. So, uh, because that seemed to... I mean, like even during Critics Fest, like Boogie Nights was one of our biggest attended films. And I think that speaks volumes to like just what people are willing to come back to the theater for. And I I mean, and same with me, like those seem to be the things I got the most excited about, like seeing something maybe I haven't ever seen on a big screen before or but like in terms of new movies, I, I mean, I feel like it was a pretty solid year, although I think a lot of the big things that people were the most excited about were the things that I, and I think I could say this about the three of us that we were the least excited about. So, um, yeah, I mean the, the biggest movies of the year were things that were just like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but still like there were some smaller gems in there that a lot of people didn't see. Uh, and I hope they, they certainly have more opportunities to see them in more places to see them now. Yeah. Um, so I hope they out there paying attention and keeping lists and, keeping track of all that stuff by, by places you mean rooms in your fucking house not in a movie well, theater i'm talking about, look at um, people, yeah I, yeah i'm trying to uh, people see some of these movies in their house so no, yeah, yeah no i understand that and that's fine and, and and uh one of the trends of 2022 is the fact that i i realized that the movie going experience is never going to come back like for real uh because people are just they don't care uh most people don't <laughs> care um and you know like people are like because of the streaming and because you can watch it at home people are obviously choosing that and you're talking about steve about you know people that you know like last year people were coming out to see stuff that they that they that that that's old and stuff well yeah the biggest goddamn movie was top gun maverick and that's old it's the same fucking movie that the 1986 one and that's what takes to bring people out um you know in in that regard yes uh, i think people you know the, the the movie business is finding its footing again to see what people will come out and see. But I think it's forever changed. I really do. After this year, um, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, because, you know, people are still, you know, cautious and trepidatious. And I I can understand that about going out to movies or going to to big events and things like that. And that's never going to change. And I think that that has something to do with it. Um, You know, but we'll see what happens in terms of the movie-going experience. But I think it's, it's, uh, it's forever changed. I think people get used to being able to sit on their couch and watch you know, Banshees of Inisherin a month and a half after it was in the theaters. You know, they can mm-hmm. sit on the couch and watch it. I just, and that, I, 
that's so foreign to my growing up and my, my, my I'm sorry, my entire, almost entire adulthood uh, watching movies is that when you see, you, you have to go out to see it. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you'd go out to see it and you, there was no window of anything when I was a kid. I know I'm going to sound like an old man, but you know, there were three channels and some, and some UHF when I was a kid in the seventies going to movies. And if you didn't see a movie, uh, you'd have to wait maybe three years and it might show up as an ABC movie of the week with 25 (laughs) minutes cut out of it. You know what I mean? And then when VHS came out, then there's a hundred, another over year that you would wait. Now, what is it? When did, I mean, like I said, how long was the window between like uh, some of the movies being in theaters and then, I mean, you know, some were like, had a, had a release in, in the theater for a week and then they're on Netflix or they had a release, you know, like the Netflix stuff, like Glass Onion was out in the theaters for a week, took mm-hmm. it away and then it became a huge hit on, on, uh, on, you know, on Netflix. Um, look at so, look at the menu. The menu is still in theaters now, and yet it's showing up on HBO Max. Right? It's right. On, also just popped up yeah. this week on HBO Max. So, like, that's that's the thing that still kind of baffles me. Is that I feel like, although the, I got to say that I saw the Netflix CEO said they he believes they botched the Glass Onion release. They should have left it in Maybe theaters. It no, yeah. really. Yes. <laughs> well, the fact that he's admitting it, I'm saying, yeah. is kind of shocking. Well, that... I mean, well, that, that that's what I'm saying. I hope that the results of that kind of stuff, like the guy from Netflix saying, oh, shit, and like the mm-hmm. numbers that some of these movies are making in that week that they're in the theaters, I hope some of them really, hey, look, if it's, a, if it's about, if it's a money situation, if they can make more money, if these dickheads can make more money, then they'll do that. And if that means like, okay, if Netflix changes their policy and says, well, it's a Netflix film, but it's going to be in theaters for three months. Good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I say good. Yeah. And Eric, what do you, how do you feel about that? Is that? No, I, I think that there's some, I mean, I agree with you on the sort of the pessimistic angle. I mean, there's just people have learned how to wait. And that's, that's the thing that's really changed since the pandemic. People have learned that, you know, something like the Fablemans, for example, they could wait for six weeks and it'll be on VOD yeah. or, or HBO Max, like you mentioned. Uh, but I, you know, I, but I also go with Steve that I think that there is a kind of a hope springs eternal kind of thing that you're seeing people that still enjoy going to experiences in the theaters. And a lot of, again, maybe it's just familiarity of it that draws people whether it be sequels or these old movies i mean we just hosted tootsie a 40th anniversary screen of tootsie uh this past week at elk grove cinema and we had like an 80 to 90 percent capacity on a a 40 year old movie on the first wednesday of january yeah so (laughs) so you see something like that and you're like well maybe this is still working i hope so I mean, you were showing yeah. Tootsie, though. I mean, you know, I mean, it's fucking True. Tootsie. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's get into it, shall we? Speaking of great movies. All right, I'll start it off. Um, and uh, and then, uh, Eric, you go with your uh, number 20. And then, uh, Steve, you okay. go with your number 20. Mm-hmm. And that's the order we'll go. So my number 20. Hey, here you go. Uh, this is a flat-out comedy. Confessed Fletch is number 20 on my list. I didn't laugh harder uh, at any movie this year. More consistently, I guess, more laughs. Um, the thing I loved most about Confess Fletch, besides the fact that it rebooted a, a, a franchise of books that I think are really kind of fun, um, and I think did better than the 80s movies did, uh, you know, John Hamm playing the part. The thing I love best about what uh, Greg Matola did in this movie is that he made everyone funny. Every <laughs> single cast member got huge laughs in this movie, all the way down to a, uh, um, a security guard at a yacht club uh, who likes the Jay Giles <laughs> band. 
the, <laughs> that is one of my favorite, char- seriously, one of my favorite supporting characters in the entire year of movies. I laughed my ass off at Confess Fletch, and I thought the spectacular cast was hilarious. So just a flat-out great, great comedy, Confess Fletch, number 20 you know, for me. Nick, I, you know what, Nick, I will say this. On Eric's podcast, we have these categories that you used to do on the radio, these subcategories we used to do yeah. on a radio show. Yeah, yeah. One of them is movies, move, one of the categories was movies you want to see a sequel to right now and this is the movie with, that i that's the movie without, that i picked dude without question i'm not kidding yeah. steve when it was oh, no, over I, I want i wanted another one immediately um <laughs> yes. and and i want matola to, to write and direct it uh and obviously yeah. john ham if they make another one john ham will come back and uh, yeah. i loved confess fletch i just thought it was great yeah. okay uh eric number 20 for you uh my number 20 is another uh franchise rebooted or reinvigorated at least uh it is prey the, the Predator prequel yeah, that Dan yeah. Trachtenberg did that was just it debuted on Hulu, didn't play in theaters. Uh, other people people think that that was, might have been a mistake. But uh, Amber Midthunder, a fantastic heroine for this yep. story. And it's just, it's great action, uh, a great, you know, I don't, I don't think I've liked a Predator movie this much probably since the original. I have a soft, little soft spot for Predator 2, but nothing since the original has mm. really just brought me the to the point that I want to see another Predator movie. I was right. done with this series yeah. until Prey. <laughs> yeah, it was terrific. And and again, another movie that should have been on the big screen completely. Yeah. Oh um, God, yes. Steve, number twenty. Uh, Resurrection. Uh, the <laughs> very scary. Uh, again, like if it wasn't for another actress that I'm sure will come up later, uh, I think Rebecca Hall gave the second best female performance uh, of the year in this story of a single mother and getting ready to send her daughter off to college and then she runs into someone from her past that completely unhinges her and gives us one of the best endings of the year too so yeah that's great and rebecca hall my god please it just it it didn't quite make my top 20 but it was up there she's Um, on a roll man she's she's amazing he's amazing okay (laughs) yeah uh number 19 uh for me is uh also a funny movie bodies 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 um Mm -hmm. directed by helena rayan um, featuring a young cast, uh, including the girl who got nominated for the Academy Award inexplicably for the Borat movie, um, and <laughs> Pete Davidson, uh, a, a real just decimation of, uh, of Gen Z, um, and the funniest punchline at the end of any movie this year. The, f- the, last three, <laughs> the last three minutes of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was the hardest I've laughed at anything all year. Like when the credits were rolling at the end, I remember sitting in the Icon Theater like scream laughing for 15 minutes after the movie ended. So um, I loved it. Bodies, 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 number 19. All right, Eric. Uh, Okay. Speaking of great uh, final sequences, uh, Pearl, uh, Ty West uh, follow-up to X, which is, I like very much as well, but Pearl uh, expanded upon uh, this, this character that we got to know a little bit in X and uh, Mia Goth just killing it literally and figuratively on screen uh, with one of the just, fantastic final credit sequences of the year and one of the best performances of, of the year as well uh Taiwa's pearl very uh i mean a great double feature with may uh which is a very high compliment so uh i yeah. can't wait to see what he does with maxine uh in march this year okay great all right uh steve 19 uh 19 for me is ryan johnson's glass onion um which i thought would actually rank higher for me but uh there's just too many good things story of, of five longtime friends who come to a greek island uh, of this billionaire played by Ed Norton. 
and there's a big mystery. It's the new like, Benoit Blanc mystery. Daniel Craig is very funny. I think we get to learn a little bit more about him and his place in the world in this film. And I think Janelle Monet is like a incredible standout in this film. And I don't, I can't think of a very, well, with one exception, which is coming up very soon that I don't think I laughed harder <laughs> in a movie than this movie. So anyway, okay. All right, 19. that's uh, 19. 18, 18 uh, for me on the best list is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, I, uh, again, I laughed a lot at the Boy, these first three uh, made me laugh a lot. <laughs> no comedies. Uh, I laughed a lot. <laughs> I la- and, well, this one, by the way, Eric, I think this one kind of, uh, it, there's, it's, it's in the minority because this is a really feel-good movie. You know what I mean? No, definitely. Like, this is all, this is like goddamn 90 minutes of joy. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. And I loved it. And if you're familiar, you know what it is. Marcel the Shell, if you're familiar with the viral uh, character, uh, the wonderful Jenny Slate does incredible work here and uh, bringing out incredible uh, work of like Isabella Rossellini. And it's just wonderful. It's the feature film uh, length version of Marcel the Shell. And it's as lovely as you think it is. So that's number 18 on my list. Eric? Uh, my number 18 is a documentary uh, that we've actually played at our, our festival this year called Hold Your Fire. Uh, it's a story of the lo- longest uh, hostage standoff in uh, New York uh, history. And it's this fantastic, uh, not only just a fantastic story about uh, exactly what happened uh, during that period, but remarkably, so many people on both sides actually survived this ordeal and are, are alive to tell the tale. And yeah. it's about the negotiations and stuff that, that went on and how uh, one psychologist basically instituted a lot of these uh, plans and how to deal with hostage negotiations that have led to many changes throughout uh, the, the police departments uh, over the years. It's, it's, it's a fascinating documentary. It's a great true story uh, and tense and fan- it's just fantastic. I loved it. Hold your yeah. fire. Uh, I do want to mention before we uh, move on, I, you know, you, you just mentioned it. Uh, that was part of the film festival. I want to say that one of the highlights of the entire year for me was attending uh, the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Oh, thank um, you, man. That that whole week in May was a goddamn delight. I only missed one day. Um, I saw a ton of movies, many of which, well, one of which is very important <laughs> on my list. Um, and I, I loved everything. I love that film, too. I thought that movie was absolutely, I thought that doc was great. And you guys did a great job. And it, just as a patron, fucking great job, you guys. Great job. <laughs> and I hope that now that I'm back in the mix, you guys would consider help, m- letting me help out a little behind the scenes this year. So, um <laughs> Just, we can uh, definitely work on that. We'll, yeah, let you check let... T- we'll let you check tickets, Nick, if you yeah. want. There you go. Right. But it was fun. I just want to say that 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 you know, talking about highlights highlights of, of the film year. One of the highlights of the film year was that was that week in May at the Music Box for the for that festival. So it was We're a highlight having you. Actually, it really oh, was. It made yeah. it a different. It made it a different year. Actually, just having you there to talk about each movie afterwards. Yeah, just to me, bitch and moan and. And not, and not and not shut up. So all right, and, and hate and hate our opening and closing night films. <laughs> yes, too. I did. And you, yeah, yeah. And by the way, those those two titles will come up later on. But anyway, um, all right. No, number eighteen, Steve. Uh, let's let's, uh, let's so, let's so do my that. funniest my the movie I laughed the most at this year was Official Competition. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Billionaire businessman wants to make a prestige film and hires a a very famous director played by Penelope Cruz and two. Uh, very different styled actors and Antonio Banderas and Oscar Martinez. They're both legends, but they are not friends. Again, another great ending for a film. And I mean, just funny takedown of egos and creative types. And 
Oh my god, I, I love this movie. I, I've yeah. watched it a few times. It's hilarious. I did. I, I, I love that one too. It just missed my top twenty, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. Official competition, fantastic movie. And by the way, as we mention these, let people know. Uh, at some point, uh, almost uh, without exception, these are all out there somewhere that people can see them on VOD or they're streaming. If you search for them, you'll find them and you'll be able to watch these movies. So make mm-hmm. sure that you, we know that. Um, number 17 uh, for me is one of the first. Uh, well, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is kind of a horror movie, but one of the first of a few horror movies that made my list this year. And this is You Won't Be Alone, which is um, was shot in Australia, produced by Australian uh, Australian film company, but was shot in Serbian. Um, and the best way to describe it for me is, uh, in just a very quick way, is if uh, Terrence Malick made a genre horror movie, this would be it. So whatever you take from that. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing, and it was poetic and beautiful, and it was not at all what I expected it to be, and I loved it. That's called You Won't Be Alone, um, sort of a Serbian Terrence Malick horror movie. So there you <laughs> go. All right. Um, if that doesn't sound intriguing, I don't know what will. All right. Eric, 17. Uh, my 17 is another documentary uh, called This Much I Know to Be True, which is uh, Andrew Dominic's film about uh, the making uh, or recrafting of uh, the, the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis's uh, albums Ghostine and Carnage. Uh, just loved uh, everything he did with uh, the way that he filmed uh, the, these two guys and the, the cre- creating this, this music and watching it unfold uh, in front of my eyes. It gave me a whole new appreciation for the music that they they did and i just i loved sitting there and just blocking out the world for for two hours uh watching these guys perform uh this much i know to be true is my number 17 wow man good choice dude i i i, I don't know why i'm surprised that you would put that on your list but i'm happy that you did <laughs> just uh, because i like huey lewis and phil collins I know, yeah i was exactly <laughs> man i was like all right cool very cool uh and those guys obviously worked work with dominic on a few movies and, and they do great scores as yeah. well so that's mm-hmm. a good documentary all right uh steve 17 I forgot. I, honestly, I, I separate out my documentary picks, so I totally forgot about that one. That should have been in my in my ten for sure. Okay, number seventeen for me uh, is Bones and All. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say too much about it because I have a feeling it's coming up again lately. But it's a terrific. It's probably one of the best love stories that I saw this year, and it had some of the best like individual performances. I mean, you like just or, or individual scenes really. I mean, there's a great scene with David Gordon Green and Michael Stuhlbarg. Anytime Mark Ryland shows up, it is cause for celebration in this movie. But it's also just like a great kind of look into like the Reagan era America too. And I, I think it it sort of encapsulates that in a certain strange way. But this is yeah, Luca uh Guadagnino made two really good movies this year, and this was the better of the two for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm finally going to throw a documentary in here, um, and that number sixteen. At number sixteen is All the Beauty in the Bloodshed, um, mm. which is directed by Laura Poitras, and is about uh, photographic artist uh, Nan Golden and her uh, fight against uh, uh, Sackler, Sackler uh, uh, companies. Uh, and it's a movie about opioid addiction and the fight against a company that would that would not only sponsor art at uh, at museums, uh, but also uh, contributed to ap- uh, opioid epi- epidemic. And on top of that, it's a, it's a great portrait of an incredibly talented artist. Mm-hmm. Um, a really, really terrific movie that was moving and insightful. Um, and anytime you can get um, an image of, uh, of a 17-year-old Jim Jaramush on the big screen, I, that makes <laughs> me happy. 
So all the all the beauty and the bloodshed number sixteen on my uh, on my list. That Eric was my number two. That was my number two documentary of the year. Terrific so movie. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, awesome. absolutely. I just terrific. rewatched it. Believe it or not, on New Year's Day. So oh, that's a anyway. happy that's a happy way to <laughs> yeah. kick off here. Like exactly. <laughs> all right, uh, Eric. Did you have you, Eric? Have you seen all the all, all the beauty and the bloodshed? Oh yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, yeah great definitely stuff. one of the best documentaries of the year. Okay, all right, sixteen, Eric. Uh, number 16, I know, is coming up uh, a little bit later, but it is uh, Michael Morris's To Leslie uh, with Andrea, Risebo- Andrea Riseborough as uh, this uh, al- alcoholic woman who wins the, the lottery and basically pisses it all away uh, and goes on to destroy every single relationship uh, in her life. And, you know, movies about uh, addiction can tend to be very rote. We've seen a lot of stories like this before, but this one uh, throws early curveballs at you and is not intent on driving you towards uh, a pat kind of happy ending. It's it, it, There are a lot of bumps along the way. Andrea Riseborough gives one of the best performances of the year. Mark Maron is is really terrific as well as uh, the the friend that helps her along the way. Ultimately, uh, yeah, just a really solid drama to Leslie. Okay, all right, um, and uh, Steve, sixteen, sixteen. Robert Eggers, The Northman. Um, it's, it's well, you know Viking what? Hold on, hold on, <laughs> uh, hold on. Uh, but before you describe it. Uh, yes. <laughs> we, we can skip me next. We can skip me next because that's my number fifteen. So, uh, I, so go ahead, Steve. Whatever you're going to say about it, I will echo when I hit number fifteen. So I go just ahead. said it's 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 Viking shit, man. And it's violent yes, it as is. hell. <laughs> Look, it's 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 a Viking remake of Hamlet, and it's it's just it's amazing. It's and it it's not in, afraid to get into the supernatural and the mythology of the Vikings while also keeping it very real and very gritty. And just like I said, bloody as hell. And plus it's got fucking Bjork in it. So that's, yeah. you know, I'm anytime, anytime someone can bring her back into a movie, I am, I am there, yeah. but like regular Eggers is, uh, is, is three for three as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, yeah, he, this, this is an amazing film. <laughs> Yeah, well, to continue, my number fifteen is the North, yes. and uh, and uh, everything that Steve said and more. I thought it was incredible. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. Um, I think Eggers is the real. I think Eggers is the real deal. He is three for three, and I love the fact that in all three of his movies, there are massive amounts of fart jokes. I love that <laughs> um, that he's able to make these really dark, twisted, very authentic, crazy movies. But he loves fart jokes, and I do want to mention. You mentioned that it was an adaptation, like a Viking adaptation of Hamlet. I do want to mention um, for all the mocking that we've done about Nicole Kidman and the AMC stuff, and for me at least, <laughs> mocking her in that stupid Lucy movie. She's unbelievable in The Northman. She's phenomenal. It's like her best yeah. performance in many, many years. Again, uh, that wonderful talent that she has has been stagnant for a while. But my God, she blows the doors off the place in The Northman, which was number 15 on my list. So there you go. All right, Eric, 15. Uh, my 15 has been mentioned uh, by Steve, official competition. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of people talking about Babylon and the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in that movie. To yeah. me, this was the the, the, the funniest of, of the, that type of movie this year. Uh, and it also a really just great note on how we, we saw a lot of pandemic-era movies with a lot of small cast and a few settings and whatnot. And here's a prime example of how you can do that with just a few great actors, a uh, fantastic setting, uh, some of the best sight gags uh, and set pieces yeah. of the year. And for, yeah. for I, my money, I, my favorite performance of the year was Antonio Banderas in this movie. I think Phenomenal. he is extraordinary <laughs> in this film. He's never been funnier. He seriously, and mm-hmm. he's, he's never, and goddamn Penelope Cruz, all three of them. Jesus. All three so of them. All, all of them good. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, Steve, 15. Uh, is the Belgian film Close uh, about a, a really intense friendship between these two 13-year-old kids who get, it gets disrupted when they end up going to what I guess is high school or yeah, or some some upper-level school, but they're, they're sort of struggling and it leads to a, a – they sort of have a parting of the ways and it leads to some tra- tragedy. And there's – so the movie is really about the struggle to understand – what happened and and the the families of these two boys also are trying to be a part of it but man it is one of those moving things that i've seen and one of the most honest things i've seen about the sort of changing fickle nature of friendships when you're young and you don't quite understand sometimes the emotional connections that that kids can have and you you think they're kind of surface level but and maybe kids today are i don't know but um, but these two kids are not, and it and it you know it's a, it's a very moving piece, like I said. Okay, all right. Uh, that is uh, fifteen for uh, for mm-hmm. Steve. Uh, number fourteen for me is the Batman, which I think is the best Batman movie ever made. And this was the, Steve. This was this year's Suspiria. Uh, oh, really? I hadn't yeah. heard that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I uh, um, um, I had. I mean, to say it. You know, to say that I had a low ex- low expectations for this movie <laughs> uh, after like I I, I act I actively as as anybody who knows me knows that I can't stand the the Nolan movies and I've never been a big you know I've never been a huge like I mean the last Batman movie that I really really liked was Batman Returns that was the last one the mm-hmm. Tim Burton one and it was my favorite Batman movie until this one um, I thought it was the most if if it's possible the most realistic take like this could really happen in a in a city. In a real city, this guy could be real. This Riddler could be real. These other guys could all be real. Um, the 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 girl who steals shit could be crowned a Catwoman. Stuff like that. Uh, I just loved what Matt Reeves did with it. He made it into a dark, really genuine film noir. Um, you know, obviously inspired by a lot of stuff, including the movie Seven. But I think it's a movie on its own. I've uh, again, this is another movie that showed up on the on HBO. And I watched it. I've probably watched it now like forty times. <laughs> I watch it every time. Every time it's on cable, I saw it four times in the theater, um, and I loved it. It was the biggest for me, the biggest surprise of the year, without question. I I don't think I had lower expectations for a movie this year, and I don't think I was more pleasantly surprised by what Matt Reeves did it did with uh, to the to uh, than the Batman. But you, you know, here's the thing: you you, you never underestimate the co-creator of Felicity. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> oh, wait. And, and because of that, so... Anyway. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and yeah. I love Nick's well, show. That's right. Anyway, so anyway, the Batman number 14. All right, Eric, 14 for you. Uh, well, despite having never seen an episode of Felicity, my number 14 is also the Batman. <laughs> look at that! Uh, we All have, right. We have a match there, right there. Yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Carrie well, Russell, yep. and I love Nick's show. Yeah, she's very happy. She's very happy. That's, I'm very happy for her. Uh, you know, some, movie, some movies, Nick, are just... Just damn good, and yeah. that's the, that's the, the sort of the overwhelming sense that I got out of the Batman is that this movie is just damn good. It's so well crafted. It's you know, I mean, it, as someone who does back the Nolan movies, as most people do, uh, <laughs> that I mean, the, the, I didn't need another Batman, another iteration of Batman, even though another. One, and I by just, the way, and by the way, I, we didn't mention this. It's fucking three yeah. hours long. It's three hours. Yes, long. That, and, exactly. And that's another one. I walked in going no, you know. So, but right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> No, absolutely, and uh, you know, I mean, I yeah, I watched Gotham, but I just ha- I happen to like the Batman mythology and whatnot, but I didn't need it, and yet I walked out of this where I'm like, yeah, that's damn good. I want another one, and you know, it was a bad year 
for comic book movies. It was it was just a bad year. Yeah, it and was, wasn't one, it? I, it was, oh, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah. Doctor was. Strange, Black Adam, Black yeah. Panther, uh, yeah. Thor, Love and Shit. Morbius, um, Morbius. Which I didn't even see oh. Morbius. Oh, oh my man. God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but the Batman, I mean, it just happens to be damn good. But man, did it look good compared to the rest of those other movies. Yeah, certainly so, did. Mine okay. 14. All right. Steve, what about you? 14. Uh, number 14's already been mentioned, uh, Prey. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I just, I, I, I think Eric already said that. I, I'd seen Amber Mid-Thunder and other stuff. Like, I, I used to watch the TV show Legion. She was great on that. Yeah, she was even yeah, good. yeah. She, she was even good in that Liam Neeson movie, The Ice Road. But but this one, this is the one that made me, like, I'm going to remember her name from now on and look forward to stuff that she's in. And it's just like this, I even just the idea of, of setting a predator movie in the middle of like 300 years ago in a Comanche nation, uh, like in the middle of their world, it's such a great idea. And it suddenly opens up all sorts of possibilities, which I'm sure will be squandered, but, but I'm happy that at least some one person got it right. Um, I love that. It was also in the native language that you like, we could watch it, um, in the native language and, and, which doesn't, I mean, basically barely exists in the world. So that was another nice touch. But yeah, I, I, this is one of the best pure action movies I saw this year. Okay. All right, cool. All right, number 13 is one that will, uh, no one is going to mention besides me here, <laughs> uh, which I guess is going to be kind of a common thing because there's a few on my list that nobody's going to mention. Um, and no one has mentioned, uh, unless they're talking about worst movies of the year. And uh, number 13 is Men, uh, Alex Garland's. Um, Crazy ass horror movie that everybody hated, but I loved. And Alex Garland to me continues to be one of the most interesting and ballsy um, horror kind of genre weirdo filmmakers of all time. And if people thought that the last fifteen minutes of Annihilation was weird, wait till they see this. Um, I just thought it was great and creepy and funny, uh, and also uh, scary. Um, as you guys, as you guys both know, I, I have a home invasion uh, phobia. And this this movie fucking works on that nerve, <laughs> big time. And then just goes off into crazy la la Alex Garland land in the last like fifteen minutes. Um, I thought it was great. I had a great time with it. I've seen it a bunch of times, um, and I think it gets weirder and better and more significant with every viewing. And I can't wait to see if they allow him to make another movie. I can't wait to see what Alex Garland uh, does next if he doesn't get run out of town first. So in my number 13, <laughs> and I'm all alone on this, is Men. It was in my top 40. It was okay. in my, I, I did a list of 40 <laughs> this year. It was in there. Okay. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, cool. All right, uh, 13 for you, Eric. 13 for me, I, I think, is the most ignorantly dismissed movie of the year, and that's uh, and also my second Andrew Dominic film of the, the list, that is Blonde. <laughs> Uh, Anna de Armas, I think, d- just destroyed as Marilyn Monroe in this story. And I think people were so, critics particularly, were so focused on the quote-unquote ugliness of the story that they forgot to turn the their phone around and point it at themselves. Yeah. Uh, because that's exactly what this movie is about, about her, the, her, the entire, no matter how much we think about the name Marilyn Monroe and whatever we remember about her talent or some of the great movies she was in, 
Marilyn Monroe's name will always be associated with beauty and bombshell and sex appeal and all that kind of stuff. And this movie turned it around on us and showed us that we're partly responsible for that because she was someone who had talent. She was someone who worked hard. And this movie puts her through the ringer. It's, again, more than much more than Babylon, a far more uh, interesting indictment of the Hollywood scene and how women are treated in that period. Uh, Blonde was, I mean, it's not a pleasant experience, but it was an enrapturing one for me. Okay. Uh, Okay, Steve, 13 for you. Uh, Already mentioned, I think, yeah, Eric mentioned it, to Leslie. Uh, Yep, single best performance of the year. Uh, in a year that I saw, I, how many movies we see Andrew Riceburg in this movie in this year, and she's <laughs> particularly great in all of them. But in this one, it just it's it's mind blowing. It's also I got a chance to interview her for this movie, and just listening to her dissect it a little bit was was fascinating. So uh, on just a pure selfish level, I love this movie. But also, I got to say, like this, like Mark Maron, this is like the best thing he's ever done, I think, too, and. It, it gives me hope. I mean, I, I think he's actually been pretty good in most of what he's been in, but but this in particular, it was a different a different type of character for him, a nicer character than he usually plays, and um, and I think he pulls it off. I think he's great in it. So yes, I'll give Mark Maron a little credit too. All right. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's move on to number twelve. Uh, Eric, how about that? Number twelve is Blonde on my list. Ah. Uh, I agree with everything you said. People completely missed the boat on this one. Uh, and I think the the idea, people who were so, you know, angry about it and they felt disturbed afterwards and they, you know, but here's the deal. You should feel like shit after you watch this movie, because what you said, Eric, is that it is about turning the, the camera around on us. Um, the target of this movie is the, the people that put her through this. Us as fans demanding what we demand from stars and from the images that we create. And what everybody seems to forget is that the movie's based on a goddamn novel. It is not based on, an, on a biography. It is not like based on her true story. Uh, this is based on a novel that was, that, that, that was fictionalized. It was about the idea of Marilyn Monroe. It was about the image of Marilyn Monroe and what this country did to that image. That's what the movie's about. And Ana de Armas is unbelievable in it. It's an incredible performance, and I just think it's sad that it got lost among all the controversy and all the critics especially fucking missed the boat on this so hugely on this movie. Andrew Dominic continues to be you know, a, a fascinating filmmaker. Um, and again, this is not a happy movie. It's, a, it's, a, it's you know, You're not going to walk out on clouds. You're going to walk out very depressed, and I was. And that's the whole point. I think it's a great film. Um, so my number 12 is Blonde, and Eric, I agree with everything you said about it. So, um, okay. All right, uh, and uh, Eric, number 12. Uh, my 12, a little lighter fare, uh, but a, a fantastic movie called The Sea Beast. That's uh, uh, available on Netflix, an animated story uh, about uh, a hunter. By the way, Steve, by the way, Eric, you could have said any yeah. title. Uh, you could have said any title that was a little lighter fare. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> any uh, title. Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, I went with, but, I, but I chose The Sea Beast. Uh, right, yeah, as right. far away as possible. Uh, and, uh, and it's just, I mean, it was just a wonderful adventure story, uh, a story that is great for all ages. Uh, it, I mean, a story about how the, the, you know, the monarchy and the, the powers that be, you know, use the sort of the working class to their own advantage uh, and not give them all the information they need and sort of turn, uh, turn them on one another. That's obviously the subtext of the movie. It's also just a fantastic, warm, funny, uh, exciting, and beautifully animated 
uh, adventure story. Uh, I just, I, it was one of the biggest surprises of the year for me, uh, The Sea Beast, which is on Netflix right now. Okay. Yeah, man, I don't know. I, ha- I haven't seen that one yet. Wow. Okay. Oh, check it out. It's yeah, absolutely I, terrific. I'm going to have yeah. to watch it. Damn it. Okay, I will. I will definitely watch it. Okay. Uh, Steve, your number 12, please. Number 12 is Koganada's After Yang, uh, about a, a, a father that after his or his daughter's sort of android companion uh, malfunctions, the father, played by Colin Farrell, searches for a way to repair him. In the by the way, I'm, he... I'm sorry, Steve. I'm sorry, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. We, You and I... Uh, we saw Meg. We saw Megan last night. So I don't know. I mean, that's going to be hard to. Because <laughs> that's fresh in my head. I just saw Megan last night. So you say, you know, Android, you know, you know, friend. Uh, I'm sorry, but the first thing that popped into my head was what we saw last night. Well, uh, anyway, go ahead. Num- wait till we wait till we get to my number one. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'm getting the. Ju- I'm getting a jump on the year. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, in the process, this the father just sort of discovers that things about his own life and his marriage to Jody Turner Smith and kind of reconnects with his family as he's trying to get this Android repaired. So um, great, great supporting work from Cliff Curtis and, and Haley Lou Richardson. Um, but yeah, I just, it's just like a beautiful, it was a movie that it was, it was it Sundance, Eric. Is that what we decided that was, after Yang's, uh, yeah, yes, it was at Sundance. Yes. Yeah, so like it kind of, and then it kind of got pushed out in a very sloppy way, and no one saw. It. I mean, I think it was in theaters for like a second, and but nobody saw this movie. And you need to seek it out because I think it's it's, it's on fantastic. Showtime. It's on Showtime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after Yang, by all yep. means, check this out. It's one of the three great Colin Farrell performances this year too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, you know, um, that I saw it at the, at the landmark, it was only up for a week at the century mm-hmm. landmark century. And I saw it there, by the way, uh, I saw it and then I stayed for bat for the Batman. So I had a Colin Farrell double feature. <laughs> nice. yeah. I had a really great Colin Farrell double feature. In fact. Um, but yeah, that one didn't, uh, uh, after Yang, I loved it. It's in my top 40. Um, oh. but, uh, but it didn't uh, quite make the top 20. Okay. Uh, so where are we? 12, right? That was 12. Yes. Okay. Number, number eleven. 11 no, number eleven has been mentioned already. Uh, Steve, you mentioned it, and that's close. Which was a heartbreaking and beautiful movie. Um, one of the uh, I don't know fifty depressing movies shown at the Chicago International Film Festival this year. There was like a <laughs> there was like a role that I went on uh, at the at the Chicago International Film Festival this year where it was like movie after movie after movie. I was either thoroughly depressed or I cried. You know, and Jesus Christ, uh, close did that. Um, <laughs> The kids in the movie are amazing. Um, it, it is, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. But it's also um, beautiful in the way it's shot. And these kids, I can't mention enough how great these, the, the, the two main uh, kids are in it. Uh, dealing with really heavy shit. Like, really. This is a really, really heavy movie. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, you know, I, I keep telling people when I, when I talk about this movie, I say, oh, it's so sad and depressing. I don't want to turn people off from watching it because it's a beautiful film it's a really great movie about you know childhood adolescence and about uh you know what can happen between friends um and how that changes and how it what it's like and how your mind works when you're 12 or 13 years old beautiful movie absolutely beautiful movie which by the way i guess is getting a release in a couple of weeks uh, eric do we know when no, this is it's, coming a, out in Chicago? it's opening at the music box on february 3rd oh february 3rd there but it go. is yes. yeah. it is a, a 2022 release and it will most more yes. than likely be nominated for international feature for i would yeah. i would guess it's going to get nominated for best international feature for the oscars so i that's just called- i just read an article today that's saying that because of all this recognition on these lists uh, that it's now the front runner for 
for yeah. for international I, features. I'm so, not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not sure that's true, but that's what they're yeah. that's what they're saying. There's it's been a, a beautiful huge it's push for it. Beautiful film. Just yeah. just missed my top ten. So that's uh, yeah. close. Uh, was number eleven. All right, Eric, number eleven. Uh, my number eleven was another big surprise uh, from this summer that uh, not a lot of people saw at all, but I thought it is a remarkable reflection of the, some of the times that we live in, and that's B.J. Novak's Vengeance, uh, which really surprised me. It, you know, it's a movie that goofs on podcasters uh, and true crime podcast, uh, but then it sort of turns the uh, the camera on the way that we look at uh, certain sections of our society and their locations and where they live and their politics. Uh, I thought it was a really, uh, really funny script uh, that uh, ultimately led to a very satisfying conclusion to its murder mystery uh, and a shockingly good performance, I thought, from Ashton Kutcher, which I never thought those words would leave my lips ever, but (laughs) I'm saying it now, a film that just missed my top 10, uh, B.J. Novak's Vengeance. Okay. All right, um, and uh, Steve, number 11. Another one I was sure was going to make the top 10, but it almost did. Uh, Marcel, the show with shoes on. Um, I, I think well, Eric mentioned this when we were recording the other day, but we watched it not on purpose at the same time when we were considering it for Critics Fest, and I texted him. I said, well, that was the most goddamn adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, um, yeah, I mean... I, this like this like some I, I love the way that they are managed to like incorporate the short films into the storyline here and why like they don't they don't ignore those at all they actually kind of make it seem like it's just part of Marcel's world. Uh, I also was just shocked at how emotionally invested I got and when you when you look at a one inch shell crying and standing in a puddle of his own tears because he's so small that he's literally. That like that. How can that not get to you? How can that not like just move you beyond words? So anyway, and yeah, Isabella Rossellini is is kind of the heart and soul of this thing. And um, and at a certain point in this story, when she's not in the film anymore, uh, again, just heartbreaking. But it's the most fun I think I've had being this sad. So I'll put it that okay. way. All right. Well, now we're into uh, the top ten. So those were uh, twenty through eleven. Now we'll. Hit our top 10 uh, best movies of 2022, and I'll start. Number 10 uh, is David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, which I just thought was great. Uh, A return somewhat to uh, the old, crazy body horror stuff that that David Cronenberg is known for. Viggo Mortensen, Lea Sway, and um, the amazing Kristen Stewart are in this movie, uh, and so is Scott Speedman, uh, uh, speaking Hi, of. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love <laughs> Nick's show. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Cronenberg going back to uh, what he was known for early in his career, um, but also using the stuff, uh, the kind of themes and the kind of stuff that he wanted to say, that he's been saying for the past, um, you know, 20 years or so, 25 years or so, uh, about, uh, about politics. And more than anything else, this movie is about... Um, <laughs> about pretension in art uh, and commerce in a really beautiful way. Um, it, it, it gets richer and I think m- more interesting with every viewing. I've seen it six times um, at this point and uh, it gets better with every viewing and funnier because um, I, I thought it was like uh, kind of funny the first time I saw it, but then it just keeps it, like, this is to me, it's like a, it's a black comedy um, that says more about, uh, like I said, uh, uh, you know, art and commerce than a lot of movies do. Uh, and that guy with the ears sewn all over his body is a fucking pretentious pile of bullshit, you know, 
performance artist asshole. Anyway, uh, so I think everybody in it is really terrific, and it's got some great themes and some weird shit. And if you like the Cronenberg weird body horror stuff, if you like sort of a, this is also like a spy movie, um, and uh, the production design is great. The you know I just I love everything about this movie, and I mean I love David Cronenberg no matter what he does. If he's you know if, if he's David Cronenberg doing the more Oscar minded stuff. Uh, or if he's David Cronenberg doing, you know, crazy body horror, I love him. I think he's one of the best filmmakers on the planet. I also think his son does great stuff, too, and I can't wait to see his new movie with Mia Goth, for God's sake. Um, which also is at the out. music box. Also, also at the music box. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but cry- number 10 is I loved it. David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future is number 10 for me. All right, Eric, number 10. Okay, number 10. Well, I said there weren't a lot of uh, great comedies this year, and maybe that's part of the reasons why this film elevated to number 10 for me. But the the most enjoyable time that I had uh, in a theater, actually, seen this year was Glass Onion, uh, Ryan Johnson's follow-up to Knives Out. Uh, I love big, dumb murder mysteries, and Ryan Johnson literally created a big, dumb murder mystery that is literally said by the, its lead detective the everything that ultimately comes out is just so dumb he, he <laughs> refers to and again i think uh, again a sort of a microcosm of the society that we're in right now and these disruptors that these characters that are all suspects uh in what what murder we don't know what is going to occur in this movie uh i think my favorite edward norton uh is just funny edward norton when he's doing comedies uh edward norton as you might know is from the movie leaves of grass with carrie russell uh and i, I just <laughs> Hi, i'm carrie russell and i love nick's show thank you very much uh and i just i can't wait to see more big dumb murder mysteries from ryan johnson this movie i think it's bigger it's better uh than the original movie and i just adored it so i've seen it three times already okay all right uh and steve number 10 for you so my, my number 10 is the, my only cheat. Uh, it's two films, X and Pearl. Oh, wait and a minute, Steve, I... because my number nine <laughs> is X and Pearl. Uh, I also cheated, and I put those two movies together. So uh, I will well, say what I the... want to say, but I, I, I will echo probably everything you said. But yes, I, I put X and Pearl together as, on, on I, my list. I, I completely agree that Pearl is the better movie, but I think them together is the strongest piece and yep. they because they are not – separate films and there, and Maxine will also not be a separate film probably the film that's coming out this year but um but Ty West just just it invented something fascinating that's a statement about people who are so desperate to be famous that they basically like lose their soul in the process and um and it's and it's it's not neither film is particularly scary. So to to simply call these horror films doesn't quite work. These are both really interesting character studies um, about the, the, the both characters played by the same actress, uh, but different characters. But it's also it is tense and gripping, sometimes shocking. There is plenty of blood to go around uh, in between the two films. Um, but like I said, I think the combined stories come in as one of the better experiences I had or one of the best experiences I had this year, just watching films and, and, and yeah, Mia Goth. I mean, we, like I said, like we said, we've all seen her in things before, but this kind of just solidified something about her capabilities that I was really not aware of before this. So yes, uh, more Ty West 
<laughs> and Mia Goth, yeah. please. Yeah. Mia Goth, by the way, uh, was in this year's Suspiria, the actual this year's Suspiria. Yes. She was in that as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so that's number 10. Number nine, I will echo what Steve just said. X and Pearl, and yes, I cheated. I put the two of them together just so I can put 11 movies in my top 10. Um, I love them both. I think they're both great. I do think that Pearl has the edge. I think Pearl is a better movie. Um, but I think what Ty West uh, does and always does to me is fascinating stuff. I think Ty West is a great filmmaker, just a really um, interesting uh, filmmaker who makes terrific horror movies and also really subversive comedies as well. I think he's great. I think he's the real deal. And he proved it this year um, by doing these two incredible movies in one year. Um, I, what I what I really love about the difference between the two of them is that the first one looks like it was directed by Toby Hooper and the second one looks like it was directed by David Lean. It's got that kind of <laughs> thing to it. It's uh, and they're both like even in terms of the the colorscape of it and the cinematography he uses the same crew on both movies, but they look different. They feel different. And I think that's a testament to. To the to the to the talent that that Ty West has as as uh, you know not only a, a, a writer but also a really terrific filmmaker who's got a lot of ideas a lot of visual ideas. Um, I also want to mention not only is is Mia Goth great in both of these movies, particularly Pearl, which is one of the best performances that any actress has given this year. But I mean, she co-created these movies, especially Pearl, mm-hmm. um, and she got a, she has a writing credit on him and an executive producer credit on him, and she is as creatively involved in these two tremendous movies as Ty West and. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge the, the, you know, the contributions that she made to these two great movies. Uh, Mia Goth, you know, like this is, you know, this is the year where Mia Goth, I've always liked her. I've always thought she was interesting. I've always thought she was like a sort of a genre goddess. But this was the first year where I went, okay, you know, like, I can't wait to see what she does for the next uh, 30 years. Um, I, she's, hmm. that God, she's that goddamn good. Uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. I, I think these movies are great. I think they're great. And I think they elevate the horror genre. And I think that Ty West's movies in general elevate the horror genre from the very beginning. I think he's great. And, uh, and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to put them both together. And, and you're right, Steve, they both work together. I've watched them back to back a couple of times. And it's a, yeah. it's a wonderful way to watch the movie, to watch these movies as one whole piece of art. Great stuff. Um, X and Pearl tied at number nine for me. Is that our first one that, like, well, Pearl... Is that our first one that we've all three had on our on our list? No, no, no. Well, no? so yes, we, I think so. Well, first wait. one so far. So, so far, we've announced yeah. so far. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's what so I mean. Far. So far, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's no, taken I, ten. It's taken yeah. ten to get three. I guess. People. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Uh, that's true. Okay. Uh, number <laughs> number nine for um, Eric. Go ahead, Eric. Yes, uh, I, I guess 2022 is going to be remembered as the year where people either made movies or watched movies. Uh, at the movies, and uh, so my number nine is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, uh, which actually jumped up on the list after I saw it a second time, and I thought uh, expanded upon uh, a lot of the, the ideas that he was going at in this, you know, this origin story of of his life that uh, I thought was beautifully uh, pieced together, and uh, Michelle Williams' performance as uh, his his mother. Uh, I thought it was one of the best performances of the year. Uh, I, I just love, I mean, I love, you know, I'm a Spielberg guy. I love the way he makes movies. And, uh, you know, sometimes multiple viewings of them, like the great the great movies, I think, uh, you find new things about them and the way that films can be used for healing. 
uh, whether it be personally or to empathize with other people who are going through things. Uh, the movies are a great way to understand the world that we live in, and sometimes those worlds are insular. So uh, The Fablemans, uh, I thought, was a, a, a really terrific achievement, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing it again because it, it really jumped up on my list the second time I saw it. Okay. Uh, number nine for you, Steve. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, uh, directed by del Toro and Mar Mark Gustafson, who's an animation legend from the Vinton Studios. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just masterful in its creation and its execution. Um, from the, the rewritten story to just the beauty of the, the character designs and the puppetry and the, and the animation style. The film has drama and tension and a dark heart, but it's also a great musical and it's uh and and since the story is significantly changed from the versions that we know like we don't exactly know who's going to live or die there's actual tension in the film um it's easily my favorite animated work of the year and there were some definitely strong contenders in 2022 and it, it's one of those things where it made me really hope that he that del toro continues to kind of spearhead and direct these kind of animated works going forward and he told me he was going to so if this one did all right which it seems to be doing you can find it on netflix okay all right uh let's see uh number eight on my list is uh, one that i don't think is going to be on anybody else's list and and was sadly just completely uh bypassed ignored or misunderstood by most people and that's bardo false chronicle of a handful of truths which is um alejandro gonzalez's in new film uh, which is semi-autobiographical um, fantasia about a, uh, a Mexican journalist slash artist uh, looking back at his life, and it jumps between fantasy sequences and historical recreations and movie recreations, um, and it, it, it is critical of the kind of stuff that people have been saying about Inuratu, but also, uh, also very critical of himself. Uh, um, I think it's a beautifully shot movie, uh, that is, a, it's a puzzle that you have to put together. Um, it's another one of those movies that, upon repeated viewings, gets deeper and crazier and more significant uh, as you watch it over and over again. Which I have. I've seen it three times now, four times. Sorry, four times. And I think it gets better every time I see it. Um, uh, uh, Darius Kanji's uh, cinematography is the best cinematography of the year. It's an incredibly beautiful movie. Uh, jumping between fantasy and reality. Uh, the timeline gets a little bit weird. Uh, some of the weird uh, special effects uh, in the movie add to the depth of what what is trying to be said. And this, you know, he's catching a lot of shit for it, like a lot of directors in the past have when they make movies about themselves or autobiographical movies. This movie, to me, this is Inaratu's All That Jazz. It reminded me a lot of All That Jazz. A lot. And uh, I remember... I remember specifically when all that jazz came out in 1979, Bob Fosse was rung pretty much over the, over the coals by a lot of critics. It was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards and everything. But, uh, you know, the critical response was he's self-indulgent. It's blah, blah, blah. How dare he? And the same shit was said about Bardo. And I think uh, the same shit can be said about, you know, what they said about Fosse and what they said about other movies. When Fellini did it and when uh, Truffaut did it, people bitched and moaned about it back then. And then like 30 years later, people are r singing the praises of these movies. And I don't know if that's going to happen with Bardo, but I hope it does. I hope 30, <laughs> 30 years from now, <laughs> people start talking about how really amazing and, you know, really self-critical this movie is. People are like, oh, it's very self-indulgent and egotistical. No, it's not. He rips himself apart in this movie. 
uh, just like uh, Fosse did um, in all that jazz. I loved Bardo. I thought it was a, a flight of fancy and a really interesting look at the brain of, a, of I think, a really great filmmaker. So Bardo, number eight on my list. Um, right. Eric, eight. Uh, my number eight is the documentary Bad Axe. Uh, Bad Axe, a town, <clears throat> excuse me, in Michigan. Uh, and this movie uh, takes place uh, right as the, the pandemic began. And it involves a Cambodian family that uh, owns this uh, owns a restaurant, a family restaurant, and uh, how the, da- the daughter comes back to help during this time when uncertainty, you know, people are not going out, things have to shut down. How do you keep this business afloat? Uh, so it's it becomes a story about not just you know the, the business of being in a business during the pandemic, uh, but it really gets you uh, into the dynamics of this family and learning how the father was uh, involved back during the uh, the killing fields back in Cambodia on uh, the, uh, the, the the conflicts between the family and involving masking and all those kind of things. Uh, but then also, you know, have them having to deal with the, the, the forces that were being dickheads during the pandemic, uh, militia groups and people who were coming in not masking and, you know, being dickheads in that respect. Uh, but it's but it's a remarkable family portrait. It's a, it's a moving, emotional one uh, that uh, really I thought, amongst all documentaries this year, I thought was the most well-rounded portrait of this period that a lot of films have been trying to capture. Uh, and uh, it's just one of the more emotional, draining experiences that I had last year. A documentary, it's called Bad Axe. Look out for that one. Yeah, terrific movie. Terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Steve, number eight. Number eight is uh, the French film Happening, uh, about a, a college-age woman named Anne living in France in the nineteen in nineteen sixty three. Uh, she's got a very promising future ahead of her, and then she gets pregnant. And because she knows what her country and what people are like, she literally starts seeing her future disappear before her eyes. Um, and right as her finals are are sort of fast approaching, and she's starting to show a little bit, she thinks she's going to get an abortion, and um, and she has to confront a lot of shame and a lot of physical and emotional pain and a lot of people judging her very harshly and very cruelly. Um, it's a film that's going to make you angry, uh, but it is not one you're going to forget. And I think uh, Anna Maria uh, Vartolome, let me see this, Vartolome is it's one of the best performances I saw this year as well. Um, just just harsh and hard to watch sometimes, but just a, a like a perfect movie. Okay. All right. Uh, that's number eight. Number seven on my list as we move up the best films of uh, 2022. Number seven on my list is We're All Going to the World's Fair, um, directed mm-hmm. by um, Jane uh, Schoenbrunn, um, a directorial feature debut, um, uh, an incredible debut, and an unbelievable, for me, the best film debut acting-wise I've seen in, I don't know, 20 years, Anna Cobb is incredible in this movie. She's also in Bones and All. She plays um, Mm -hmm. um, Timothy Chalamet's younger sister in Bones and All, and she's fucking great in that, too. This uh, performance by Anna Cobb is, uh, you know, is astonishing. It's amazing. Um, The movie is about a young... uh, It's a very ambiguous film. Um, It's all shot uh, with handheld stuff, um, a lot of it through camera lenses on laptops or phones. And it is about a young girl in her teens uh, who sort of lives. You don't really know because there's really no, not a whole lot of people in this movie. It's just basically her and then eventually another guy. 
Um, and she lives uh, in this house and spends most of her time in her attic base, uh, her attic bedroom with what might be a very abusive father who yells at her a lot um, and you, who, who is off screen most of the time. And uh, she spends a lot of time online uh, trying to connect with someone, trying to connect with anyone. Uh, she's got a very obviously, without going into any kind of details as the, as the filmmaker does, uh, her life is very hollow and very sad. Um, and she lives in what looks like a really dystopian sub- suburb of today uh, with closed down pet supply stores and weird like, I mean, just like the, 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 the look of suburbia in this movie is, is, uh, is, really, uh, is really sad and also uh, potent for the times that we've gone through in the past couple of years with so many businesses and so many things being shut down and the world being closed down. And that feel that we had during that time period is multiplied by about 90 so that we can look at the life of this really sad, unbelievably lonely, disconnected young girl who's desperately trying to connect with people and tries to do so online, which, of course, is a huge mistake. Um, And she reaches out uh, and starts to participate in these weird sort of video challenges that people are doing online. Um, And um, uh, what's the name of the uh, something pasta? The name of those videos that you can find online? Creepy like, pasta. Creepy pasta. Like she she gets into that kind of stuff, the Slender Man kind of thing, and she decides she's going to do this thing, this challenge where you watch all these crazy videos and you prick your finger and you do this and you say we're all going to the World's Fair, and then something weird happens and there have been all these films that you can watch, these videos that you can watch over and over and over again online. She gets sucked into that and then suddenly she meets someone who also likes horror movies and who also wants to reach out to her and they start this relationship. Uh, And that's what it's about. But it's about loneliness. It's about being in a really horrible uh, relationship with what might be an abusive dad. Um, And it's about reaching out into the world of the internet and finding nothing because that's what you're going to (laughs) find. And um, especially captures that world of being so painfully alone and that world of how fucking awful it is if you're in that kind of position and you're you get sucked into that hole in the internet especially at like three o'clock in the morning and this movie captures that more than anything and then it becomes a much more not much more interesting but then it really takes on a whole new avenue when the second character is is introduced in the final third of the movie and it shifts focus and becomes about more than that um, I think it's, it's an important movie about the times we live in now. I think it's one of the most um, devastating films about loneliness ever made, uh, um, you know, about dis- disenchantment, about being a teenager, and an indictment of the, of the internet like no other. Um, and again, I can't express enough how fucking unbelievable this young girl, Anna Cobb, is in this movie. There is a long sequence in this movie where she does a tarot card reading. All of it was improvised. And that is one of the best scenes acted I've seen all year. She's unbelievable in this movie. And it is a, it's, it's, um, I think she's going to be a superstar. And I loved her in Bones and All. And I just think that, you know, like, like maybe people will, like, when, when everybody loves Bardo, people will love Anna Cobb. I think at that, at that point, <laughs> I don't know. But no, I, 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 I truly, I think we're all going to the World's Fair, um, you know, in any other year. Because a lot of these movies in, the, in my top, like, six or five or six are, extra, for me, exceptional movies. Um, and any other year, we're all going to the World's Fair, I think, would have been in the top three. It's that goddamn good. Mm-hmm. I love we're all going to the World's Fair. So that's my number seven. Okay, Eric, seven for you? Uh, my seven is a much different film about loneliness, and that's Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, just <laughs> an, an absolute joy, as uh, has already been talked about. Uh, Jenny Slate's voice work in this is just exquisite. Uh, has one of my favorite little surprising little tearjerker moments in the movie where 
Marcel experiences some loss and she says, or she says, uh, I hope she liked me too. Uh, just, there's, there's so many just wonderful moments in this movie. It's so funny. It's, it's a just commentary about, uh, Marcel's world, but it's more, you know, as much about the world that we live in and, uh, the things that we take for granted and stuff. And, uh, it's just, it's just great. If, just, if you've not seen this movie, people, uh, show it to your kids immediately. It's that yeah. good. Yeah. I remember people were like bitching and moaning online. Cause I went off on people for like, uh, Oh, I don't like avatar, but my kids want to see it. And uh, so I'm going to take him to see that. Uh, it'd be great. And I and, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? You know, like, uh, what, what, and you just mentioned, why don't you just go fucking watch Marcel? You want your kids to see something stupid? Take them to Avatar. What's it? You, by the way, uh, as you were talking, um, you were talking about tear jerking moments. I'm looking at my my top seven movies. By the way, starting with We're All Going to the World's Fair. My top seven movies. Every one that I'm going to be talking about till we get to number one made me cry. Every single one of them. <laughs> So from seven all the way up, some of them made me like sob, like uncontrolled. A couple yeah. of them made me like sob uncontrollably. At Bar- uh, and uh, I mean, Bardo didn't, but like from number seven up, we're all going. <laughs> we're all going to the World's Fair. Made me cry. Uh, and so I don't know, maybe because I'm old now. I don't know. But uh, but every single movie that I'm about to mention, leading up to number one, all had me crying or sobbing like a baby. So uh, I don't know. I just mentioned that because you mentioned crying, Eric, and I was looking at my list, and I'm of like, course. oh. That's what the top seven of my movies have in common. I had a crying fit during many of them. So, okay. Jesus. All right, Steve, number seven for you. There's a lot to unpack there, but all right, I'll carry you. This one did not make make me cry. Uh, Number seven is uh, The Woman King. Uh, It made me me angry. A very passionate and powerful and angry exercise in reclaiming one's identity and ending the belief system that, that is rooted in the slave trade, and it, ca- it causes even a king to some- think he's something less than human just because he's been brought up that way. Watching these warrior women led by Viola Davis and uh, Lashana Lynch uh, just kind of step up and take control is like the highlight of this movie. But it is just built on like raw power and fire and fearlessness and some of the best action scenes, maybe the best action scenes I saw all year. Um, I, I, I can honestly say, I think I was even sitting next to you when we were watching this, Nick, but I cannot remember another experience like this, this year. And it, and it, it managed to feel both very intimate and epic. And, and like I said, just some of the best action I saw in 2022. So yeah, yeah that was the woman King. Yeah. It, it didn't make my top 20, but it's up there. Terrific movie. A great, a great, a great movie. Okay. Really, really cool. Okay. Well, let's move on to uh, number six on Nick's crying jag uh, list. <laughs> uh, um, number six of my uh, best films of the year is the whale. Uh, uh, and that's what I was doing at the end of the movie. Oh, hold on a minute. Wait a second. There you go. Uh, so um, uh, we all, I think we all know what this is. This is Darren Aronofsky's latest movie. It's based on a play. Um, and uh, I guess I had forgotten that a friend of mine actually worked on the production that they did here in Chicago hmm. at the Victory Garden. And I completely, I completely forgot about it. Um, but it's based on a play, and uh, and yet it feels like a Darren Aronofsky movie. And everybody has been talking about a big comeback role for Brendan Fraser. He plays uh, a morbidly, sickly, obese man uh, who has, uh, you know, mo- the most positive attitude that you can possibly have in the situations that you are in, who desperately wants to uh, reconnect with his daughter in particular, and uh, with uh, uh, you know, with with the world in general. Uh, and it is about. 
him in his house um, counting down the days that might lead up uh, to his inevitable death and the relationship that he has with the people that visit him, including a, uh, a, 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 a religious door-to-door <laughs> preacher who shows up at the house, uh, his daughter uh, who is very angry with him, and uh, his uh, caretaker. Uh, Played by Hong Chao, who had a great year, by the way, with this and mm-hmm. uh, the menu. Yeah, um, and uh, and it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a I think it's a great film. Um, uh, Brendan Fraser, everything has been said about how great he is, and he is phenomenal in it. Everybody in it is good, though. I don't, I, you know, everybody keeps talking about how great Brendan Fraser is, and he is great. But everybody in this movie is good. The girl with the Kate Bush thing uh, is uh, plays the, plays the daughter. She was in the Stranger <laughs> thing. Uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Sadie Sink. Sadie yes, Sink. she's phenomenal as his daughter in this movie. And there's a lot going on in this film. It's really rich, and it's unbelievably uh, the ending of this movie. Jesus Christ! The last <laughs> five minutes of this movie, I was a sobbing wreck. I, you know, uh, people were leaving. Like Colin, Colin was sitting next to me, Suter, and like at the end, he's like, "Let's leave him alone," and just got up and walked away because I was <laughs> making a fucking spectacle of myself during the last five minutes of the movie. Um, I respond to Darren Aronofsky's work. I understand why people don't like it. I understand why people don't like his his movies. He's not he, he's not known for his subtlety at all. Um, and I understand why people hate movies like The Black Swan and why they hate movies like Mother or I even, you know, can't go back and watch Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but like this was a movie that I responded to and I, res- I for some reason I respond to his stuff. And yet I understand why it didn't get the reception that uh, you know, most people was hoping it was going to get. Um, and I can understand the negative thoughts that people have on Aronofsky's work. For some reason, I respond to his stuff hugely and I responded big time to this. I thought the whale was great and one of the most emotional experiences I've had in the theater um, all year. So anyway, uh, all right, uh, Eric, you're number six. Uh, yeah. And also just to follow up on the whale, people do not know who Brendan Fraser is. He's in a movie called extraordinary measures where he played oh. Carrie Russell's husband. Oh Hi, I'm so. Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. I really just appreciate you. I really appreciate you doing this. And so does Carrie Russell. Hi, I'm huh? Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. Nice job, Eric. Very, very nice. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, my number six is the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, which may be uh, go down in, on, on, in my movie list as the funniest, saddest film I have yeah. ever seen. Uh, you, that, so that means that means that basically means Irish. Yeah, <laughs> Irish. Uh, yes, and that basically means Irish. <laughs> yes, uh, and expecting it to be on your crying jag list. <laughs> it, well. it certainly is. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, having just revisited the movie uh, for a second time just recently, uh, you know, I mean, it's just watching the, the Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, you you really get to appreciate each of their points of view uh in in this situation and uh some of it is just it's hilariously funny martin mcdonough's screenplay is absolutely great yes it is a metaphor for the the irish civil war and stuff that's going on which is just subtly brought up in the background but i think it's also a great metaphor for again what's we've been going through for the last five or six years and the way that people have jettisoned friendships for various reasons uh sometimes on social media in in the simplistic way sometimes in real life because of politics and beliefs and things like that that's not quite what's going on in banshees of Sharon. and i think that there are uh watching in multiple viewings there's more going on with brendan gleason's character that suggests that he's almost using the colin farrell character as an excuse uh, for things that are going on inside his own head and the way that he uh, conducts himself throughout the movie. 
but that doesn't mean it's any less sadder for Colin Farrell uh, in the movie. And I have not stopped thinking about the scene between Carrie Condon and Barry Keegan <laughs> that we all laughed our asses off at in the theater when we all saw it at that screening. And I don't know if you guys were there with with me at the same wavelength, but I laughed my head off, and then I felt in so sad yeah, yeah. after that scene. <laughs> it's so goddamn sad. Uh, and Carrie Condon, Nick, I know you're going to talk more about her. Please. Seeing what she's doing in this movie, uh, just watching her a second time, also hilarious and sad. That's, the, that's this movie, hilarious yeah. and sad, and yeah. I loved it. Irish. Irish. <laughs> all, right. all right cool okay so that's number uh, six on uh, eric's list steve number six for you uh, my number six is the batman uh and I, I think nick sort of alluded to it but if you haven't figured it out already matt matt, matt reeves knows what the fuck he's doing yeah wait and, Hi, uh... I'm Carrie <laughs> i love nick's show okay i don't believe that was called for anyway so <laughs> the the um Without meaning to, the guy has basically built a career out of breathing new life into very familiar material, like Let Me In and the two Planet of the Apes movies that he did. And even even Cloverfield was just like a, his version of a, of a kaiju film, so but done in a very different way. And I mean, it, and it takes I think it takes guts to like do a new Batman movie only 10 years after the Nolan trilogy and then only a couple years after like Ben Affleck did it last. So. And yet he's still he and Robert Pattinson found this way to like do a good old fashioned dark as midnight crime drama and and in which but it's still in a world where a guy in a cape doesn't seem all that out of the ordinary. So I I I can't wait to like see where they take this character. I think I think all parties are in on making more of these. I think it's an excellent first chapter. I love seeing Batman at a point in his career where he's only a couple years in, so he's still not figuring everything out. He's still making mistakes. He's still getting duped by some of these villains. And um, this is a very flawed version of this character. And the character has already been flawed pretty much in every iteration, but this is like the most flawed. And, and yeah, you mentioned it. This is very much rooted in, in a real world, like a feeling of a real world. I, I only ding the film a little bit because I think at the end, when the, when the flooding of Gotham seems a little it seems it almost seems too big for this movie and i i kind of liked how it was small most of the time but i still loved it i still love it it's still my number six so okay. anyway that is the batman okay all right my uh, number five and i know we're going to hear uh this is going to be one of the ones that we hear uh, about uh, more in the top five here is my number five is after sun um my number which, five also is that your number five as well <laughs> yes, okay um yes. my number five is charlotte wells uh really incredible ambiguously beautiful film about the relationship at its core about the relationship between a father and his and his daughter told through um memory scape and through videos of uh of, of things that were shot moments that were shot on this vacation that this uh father and daughter young daughter uh take uh, on the shores in turkey and, uh, and it's sifted through the memories of this daughter who is now an adult. Um, it is, uh, it's nothing, everything is, is left up to you about what this relationship could be between this daughter and the, and the father. Um, and what is, what's really going on in the, within the father. The movie is really about like trying to figure out what, um, what's wrong with the father, what's been going on in this father's life, why he's behaving the way he behaves why he does the things that he that he does, and it's all filtered through memories and these, uh, you know, these videos that people go back and look at 
years later, uh, trying to figure out what was going on and what coming to terms with this relationship that you've had with another person. And that's what this movie's about. It is devastating. It is beautiful. Again, another one of these movies, the last five minutes. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, it is a, a remarkable directorial debut. Um, I mentioned uh, Jane Schoenbraun. Uh, with uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair doing an amazing uh, directorial debut. And uh, another person here, uh, Charlotte Wells, writing and directing her first feature, one of the best uh, feature film uh, directing debuts I've seen ever. And the performances are unbelievable. Uh, the, the two leads are, are, are incredible in this movie, and the, you know, the, the, the chemistry that they have and the relationship that they create. Um, and again, it's a movie that, that takes on a whole different meaning. when you, I've watched it several times, and it... It looks different and feels different. I find more things in it. And I can int- you can interpret this movie any way you want. It's one of the things I love about it. No interpretation of what you think happens to and between these characters is wrong because it's that kind of piece of art. It's a piece of art that you look at. And great pieces of art sometimes do that. You look at it, and it means something different to the person standing next to you. And that's what After Sun does. Uh, not everybody is going to agree on what they think the movie is about and what really happened and what really is happening. Um, there's enough in there to give you a clue as to what's happening, but ultimately you make up your own mind, and, and as a result, that makes it even more emotionally powerful. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. So that's my number five is After Sun, and it's, it's Steve's number five. We'll hear what he has to say about it, but let's get Eric's number five uh, next, Eric. Uh, well, my number six was a film about the consequences of ending a friendship. My number five is about the consequences of beginning a friendship, and that's Speak No Evil. Uh, the I think far away the best horror film of the year. That's also a very dark comedy. Uh, if you sort of strip away the the, the horror elements that uh, eventually are weaved into the story, I mean, it plays. Eric, like, Eric the, the first the, the first hour of this movie, I was laughing my ass off. I laughed yeah. my ass off the first hour. Yeah, I didn't. I, mean, I didn't during. I didn't during the last twenty minutes. But the first hour, I laughed my ass off during it. It it almost feels like a cheat to even describe it as a horror movie because no, if you just it's a black comedy into it's a, this. Yeah, it's a black comedy. Yeah, it's a black comedy. Right, and it's sending people into this movie with that knowledge, and you would think that you're watching a really funny Danish comedy yeah. Uh, yeah. that then turns on completely <laughs> yeah. on you yeah. in the last third. And uh, and again, it's a, it's a Danish film, but it is in English, uh, and uh, and I think that that's part of the brilliance of it too yeah. because yeah. it's so much commenting on. America. And I think the the whole idea of the way that we ignore confrontation and the way that we uh, decide not to uh, call out people for being assholes when we should because we don't want to feel like the assholes ourselves for for the way that they're acting. And this movie, clearly they need to be called out for their behavior. It's not particularly appropriate, particularly, you know, with, with families involved. Uh, and yet they don't, and there are consequences for that. Uh, and I think that it's, it's a remarkable reflection of, again, society. And I, I yeah. sound like a broken record saying that, but I see a lot of that in a lot of the art that we're getting these days. And I think we're going to be seeing that for more than a few years. It was and that was one of evil. my that was one of my most pleasurable experiences at you guys at your uh, fest um, <laughs> because. Uh, I was literally the only person in the theater laughing and I was laughing my ass off. Like I, and I was alone, you know, like, and that's enough when you got a guy sitting alone laughing, that's weird enough. Um, But I was laughing my ass off during the whole thing. And then during that last, (laughs) last 20 minutes, I was like, what the fuck, what is happening right now? 
Um, it didn't make my top. It almost made my top twenty. It's a terrific film, a, a, a terrific yeah. movie. But it's a fucked up movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Truly fucked up movie. But, um, but yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't ever have this kind of problem because I don't like people. So I'm. Uh, that's not going to be an issue. You know what I mean? Like I'm not there. Nobody's going to invite me to their house for the weekend because I don't like people. So I vicariously had a great time. You know, you know, looking at what would happen if I did, in fact, do shit that I wouldn't never do. So that's, <laughs> but no, it's a terrific movie, a terrific movie. But man, yeah, I got to tell you, that was one of the most fun times I've had during that festival was sitting in that. It was a late night. I think it was a mid, was it a midnight show? It was a Friday, Friday yeah. midnight. Okay. Yeah. Because it wasn't, it, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting in the back of the theater laughing my ass. People are like, that guy's weird. Uh, yeah. But anyway. Okay. All right. Anyway, speak no evil. I'm glad it was that high. I, I, God, you're surprising I, me this year, Eric. I got to say, <laughs> you're totally surprising me. I don't know why. Wow. Wow. All right. I I, it, it just to me, I, I'm sorry, really quickly. No, just sorry. the fact it, it, it's, it's surprising to me because like that's higher than a fucking Spielberg movie. And I just want to say yeah. thank you for that. <laughs> I just welcome. think that that's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I'm sorry, Steve, you were going to say, no, I was just going to say, I, you know, I was going to say our, uh, based on our audience choice ballots, they didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right, Steve. You, uh, you and I both had uh, After Sun at number five. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I don't on really it? have much more to add other than I. The second time I watched this, I realized how much of a mystery it was. Like there, yeah. I mean, you you said it's sort of open to interpretation, but I think I mean it's deliberately so. And I think it's and there are times when I was genuinely tense watching this film because you're not quite sure what direction this father daughter relationship is going to take. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's certain directions. I'm like, please don't go there. And thankfully most of the time it doesn't, but, um, or at least not overtly. So, um, but yeah, I just, I'd, I'd forgotten like how much, how tense I felt watching that movie the first time. Uh, and just, yeah. And how many like little, little mysteries as there are in life, you know, little mysteries there are and how much you don't understand when you're a kid and how much, when she's when this this daughter Sophie is watching these videotapes, she's sort of figuring things out for the first time. I think in a lot of cases, and um, it's it's a, it's a searingly emotional debut that I have heard from people that have, that know Charlotte Wells that she said it was so emotionally draining she might never make another movie. So I can see that. I, I mean, can understand that. I mean, yeah. it's it's it, 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 it'd be amazing if this was a one and done. But yeah, I I have a feeling. She'll she'll pull it together and are, are, the, are the what what are the are the chances okay that Paul Mescal might get nominated? Um, I mean, uh, uh, it's going to be close. It, yeah. I have a I have a I have a hunch he might be the one that gets left off of the ballot. Damn it! This year, it's, right. I mean he's like five six, Nick. I mean he might yeah. be four, but yeah. he's he's right in that thing, and we're going to see how it how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, he deserves it. He's so god. He's they're the both running. good. And Frankie, God, what am I? What's her? What's her last name? The, the Corio. Cor- Corio. God, yeah. Damn it, she's yeah. good. She's so good. I yeah. mean, oh, it's such a good movie. And I watched it. I watched it on my laptop the first time, <laughs> and cried like a goddamn baby in my dining room, <laughs> where I'm sitting right now, in the seat I'm sitting right now, crying. Oh, such a good movie. Uh, god damn it, it's good. All right. Nick, if and I'm just, I'm not, just not yeah. to interject too much about the Oscar race, but yeah. looking at what we're at right now, I mean, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, Austin Butler are probably th- the yeah. three top yeah. choices. Uh, I have yeah. a feeling Bill Bill Nye might get in for yeah. living, which makes sense. And then, yeah. and then I think Paul Muscal might get knocked out, and this is going to drive you nuts by Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, that oh, that's I find what I'm that seeing so happening right believe. now. 
It's just ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. Wow. It's totally ridiculous. It and that makes ridiculous. sense. I can, I, to- I can totally see that. Uh, I can totally I can totally see that. It's, it's absurd, but I can totally yeah. see that. And, and, and like I was saying to you, Eric, back at the, you know, a, a few weeks ago when we were at the uh, Film Critic Awards. Yeah. I really think it's Colin Farrell's year, man. Uh, I think the, I'm I, leaning that way. I think the backlash, whatever backlash, whatever you want to call it, against right. the whale and against Aronofsky, um, and you know uh, the the comeback story of of Brendan Fraser is kind of losing steam right now. Yeah, and more and more people have been seeing because of HBO and all that stuff. More and more people have been seeing Banshees. I'm telling you, my man Colin Farrell, I think he's going to win an Oscar this year for best actor. It's very possible. So, all right, okay. I, I wouldn't. I would yeah. not underestimate the power of three awesome standout performances this yeah. year either so yeah yeah, yeah. and as, he was in the he was in the he was in the ron howard movie so we won't mention that but he was in that well like i said I'll three, it. i think he's good in that yeah i do he's too fine he's I, on a yeah. standout yeah i do too i do right. but the other the other three movies are so, so far superior to yeah. you know to to that one uh, 13 lives by the way is the movie we're talking about so right anyway. yeah. good year for colin farrell god damn it i love him he's the best yeah. one la- one last thing about paul mescal for those for those listeners living in the uk um that um he's actually on in on the west end right now playing stanley kowalski in uh, streetcar named desire so well, that he i bet he kicks ass i bet he's amazing <laughs> I bet he does i oh, bet he's amazing he does yeah yeah, yeah, terrific actor. Okay, yeah. uh, number four on my list is a movie that will not be on anybody else's list and hasn't shown up on everybody else's list. It's George George Miller's follow up to Fury Road, and that's Three Thousand Years of Longing, an amazing film, be- incredibly uh, uh, dismissed and uh, and and underappreciated and underseen. Uh, bombed. I'm not surprised it bombed. I mean, this is it, this is as far. This is as wrong a follow-up to Fury Road as you could possibly do, thinking that people are gonna, <laughs> people are gonna like it. Um, I think a lot of the people who maybe are like, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, let's go see the from the director of Fury Road. Twenty minutes in, like, what the hell are we watching right now? Um, but this, uh, to me, is a display of the incredible cinematic uh, uh, talent that George Miller has, the incredible audacity he has as uh, as a risk taker. Uh, his imagination is boundless. Uh, the, his storytelling skills are in, incredible. Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba. Uh, Tilda Swinton plays a woman who finds uh, a, a lamp at this shop, and uh, and there happens to be a jinn or a genie inside. Uh, the genie is going to grant her three wishes so that he can be released from the from the uh, from the bottle. But uh, she decides uh, she doesn't really think it's a good idea and wants him to convince her to make these wishes. So he starts telling these stories of 3,000 years of him granting wishes and what happened to him and what happened to the people who granted the wishes. And it goes through different parts of time and it's fantastical and weird and whimsical and horny and crazy and and completely outrageous and filled with remarkable visuals and incredible use of special effects that are, uh, you know, seamless um, the great cinematic mind of George Miller goes down an entirely different road. Oh God, no, no pun intended. Uh, uh, than he than he did with the with the Mad Max movies. But yet, it is a true at its core. This is a fucking George Miller movie in all its beauty and style and boundless imagination and glory. I loved Three Thousand Years of Longing. Again, another movie that made me cry. 
Um, and I just, I think it's great. And, uh, and it completely tanked. I mean, as I, I, everybody is aware, completely tanked. Uh, I think unfairly overlooked, and I think a magnificent piece of work, a great piece of cinema, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. So that's my number it four. Ma- it made me cry for different reasons. But okay. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I think it's a great film. <laughs> great film. I'm, right. I'm not surprised it's on your list. I'm surprised it's this high, though. Oh, it's a great film, so- man. It's a great film. It was my favorite movie until, until the fall. Mm. <laughs> it was. Uh, no, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, but it was my favorite. True. Yeah, yeah. release until right. then. So, all right, Eric, uh, number four. Well, what more can be said about Charlotte Wells' After Sun? Uh, my number four choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's just, I, please. I mean, the, the I, Nick, you, you said it best that what, whatever you take away from trying to piece together the mystery of this film, I don't think people's interpretations will be that far apart. It's just more specifics than anything else. But everyone, I think, has probably experienced someone in their lives uh, like this vacation in some respects. Yeah. Um, and whether you were aware of it at the time or not. And that's what this film is so much about, is about the reflection uh, of reflecting back on the, this period in your life and wondering if there's more you should have known, uh, is there more that I could have done? Uh, and that's what leads so, you know, so greatly to its final 15 minutes. And we're never going to hear under pressure the same way again, yeah. uh, no matter on the radio or whatever. And that's, I mean, that song is just going to make me cry from now on. And, uh, and then it has like maybe the most remarkable final shot of the year. Uh, it's just, it's a remarkable piece of art is the it way is. you described it, Nick. And Great it, it really is after sun number Great four. Film. Yeah. I, I think we can all just agree at how amazing that film was. And really, yeah. and, and, and I think all three of us like Charlotte Wells, I mean, that's a directorial debut of a lifetime, man. I mean, it really is. It really, mm-hmm. really is. So, okay. Uh, Steve, number four. All right. Holding my breath here. Okay. My number four is Todd Field's Tar. Um, about the fictional classical conductor Lydia Tar, played magnificently by Kate Blanchett. I'm not going to say too much about it because I, I know it's going to come up. Well, it's going to come up twice more, I think, but yeah, in, yeah, different, yeah, yeah. in very different yeah. contexts. But yeah. anyway, um, I, but I happened, I happened to really uh, love the, the structure of this film where she, she, she kind of says something in a class once that comes back to bite her in the ass later. But then there's this, which is a sort of a small problem for her, but then there's a bigger problem that has to do with, kind of has to do with the movement. And um, if then there, there's also these strange things happening in these places where she's like in her apartment or in a park where well, she's out on a job and she hears things and she sees things. And is it, is it just the world closing in on her? Or is she more, is something, is she snapping? Like is, there's just like, there's sort of a, a mysterious quality to parts of this film, but then the parts that are very much grounded in reality are just as compelling. Um, it The film was like watching someone get caught in a current um, and just having, like, and just being powerless to do anything else other than sink, but she's still fighting. Um, and it's, I think it's a fascinating fight and, and it's a remarkable film. Um and that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. Um, okay, that's number four. All right, uh, so we're moving up to number three. Uh, number three, uh, for me, and, uh, is uh, Bones and All. Uh, Steve, you included it in your top 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I was blown away by it. I think it might be Luca Guadagnino's best film. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, he directed the uh, this year's Suspiria. <laughs> uh, 
No, no, he directed the actual Suspiria. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I, he, the original, yeah, yeah. the original yeah, this yeah, year's yeah. Suspiria. Um, yes. uh, Luca Guadagnino and uh, reuniting with uh, my boyfriend, uh, Timothy Chalamet, who I just adore on every level uh, in everything that he does. Um, and uh, this is a, at its core, it's a love story about, it's your basic lovers on the run, young love on the run, uh, kind of uh, reminiscent of stuff like Badlands and They Live by Night. Um, it is about young people in love fighting against authority, fighting against their families, fighting against everything, and also fighting against the fact that they happen to be afflicted with a, uh, a need where they have to eat human flesh. Uh, they are called feeders. Basically, it's about young lovers on the run who happen to be cannibals. Uh, incredible supporting uh, work from everybody that you mentioned involved. I, I do, again, want to mention Anna Cobb, who had an, a stellar year. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Taylor Russell plays the lead in this movie. The chemistry between the two of them is amazing. Uh, my for for my money, one of the best scores of the year. And um, you make me feel you make uh, you make me feel like it's home. Uh, for me, best original song of the year. And of course, it will never get nominated. Um, and uh, this movie destroyed me. I was a wreck at the end. I've seen it a bunch of times, uh, and and I cry like a baby at the end. I think it is absolutely extraordinarily beautiful on every level one of the best and most effective and most beautiful love stories i've seen in years and years and years and just on the level of rebellious youth uh you know uh, you know just keeping their love together under unbelievably strenuous and awful circumstances this movie is that it is rebellious youth love story that just so happens to be about cannibals and also as you mentioned steve an incredible look at the summer basically of 1985 uh, yeah. With incredible music cues, um, incredibly uh, original and crazy music that was chosen by, by Luca. Um, I mean, look, he 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 chose uh, everything I need by the by Men at Work, and it shows up at in, at the beginning of the movie. And I'm like, okay, this movie's gonna rule because that move that song like is like not one of their big. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Men at Work songs, and it's just like the soundtrack is great and capturing the '80s is great. The production design, everything about it. Uh, and the two leads, I mean, Timothy Chalamet, I just adore him. Um, and I was moved by it to the point of sobbing at the end. I, I think it is absolutely an extraordinarily beautiful love story that just so happens to have really cool scenes where people are chomping on bones and eating other humans. <laughs> so I loved Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. That was number three. I think I had to pull a Colin Souter in, at the end of that movie and just leave you be. Yeah, there were only like three of us. There were only like three of us in the screen. In the screen room at the time, and, and and I was like a wreck. I was just like, I was a fucking wreck the first time I saw it, and it works on me every time. It was just emotionally. I just love it. I love it. And I love Guadagnino's mm-hmm. movies. I think he's unbelievable, and I can't wait to see what he does next. I know he's got two movies that are coming up already uh, that he, that he's working on. So mm-hmm. I just think he's. I think he's one of the best best directors working today. All right, number three, Eric. Uh, all right, so my number three, I went from after Sun to after Yang. Uh, this uh, the, the the year of Colin Farrell began with this film, at least at Sundance for for Steve and I, and uh, you know just what a concept, the idea of a science fiction story that uh, deals with uh, an android and uh, an android that has basically died, uh, more or less, and the way that. The father tries to find a way to delve into the memory of this android and piece together and discover that the android recorded things, very brief instances that where they found uh, happiness. Uh, and I think that makes a really remarkable uh, counter, uh, not counter, but uh, 
a great double feature with After Sun because it's one film looking at these old videotapes and discovering being a part of this and uh and after yang discovering what the deceased found happiness through now you know when we deal with grief we sort of deal with our own memories here dealing with the memories basically of the deceased and seeing that you probably meant more to them than you actually realized uh i this movie worked on so many levels uh colin farrell fantastic Haley lee richardson uh in in a great a year for her great film. year for her another really good year for yeah, her yeah, yeah, yeah. um and uh yeah just coconata the movie columbus uh a few years ago that made my top 10 list here's after yang i just say give this guy as much money and all the resources you need for him to keep making movies because he's making art as well after yang's my number three terrific movie yeah okay steve three Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> I'm hitting all the Nick's high points here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh-huh. uh, so there, 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 there's certainly a case to be made for in a film that attempts to pack too much into a single work. But I, I, and I can easily see people having that issue with the newest film from Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, collectively known as Daniels. But part of what I, I think makes this film so successful is that it exists in a place where some characters actually do experience all things all at once. And it drives them either insane or certainly to a place where their minds and hearts grow numb. And you could look at this film as a metaphor for the internet or social media, or you could see it as a commentary on the last five or six years of our lives. Uh, in all likelihood, uh, hopefully what you'll take away from it. what I took away from it is that it, it kind of depends on what you bring with you into it. And and those are my absolute favorite kind of movies. Um, it's a film that I think clearly I saw it a few times in the theaters. And it, each time I was like able to appreciate some different aspect of it. It's, there's a lot there. There's a lot packed in there. Um, but I I found it impossible not to like really love and admire just, just from one viewing. Uh, so, yes, that's my number three. Okay. All right. Number three. Uh, number two. Um, Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inisherin, uh, the most Irish fucking movie ever feckin' made. <laughs> the most, I'm sorry, feckin' movie. It's the most Irish feckin' movie ever feckin' made. Um, I, you know, I mean, we've already talked about it. You guys already had it on your lists, right? Am I correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I was, a, I was an admirer of Martin McDonough as a playwright years ago before he started making movies. I was turned on to his, uh, Irish plays of the mid and late nineties. Um, and saw many productions of it and was actually going to direct one of his plays and never got around, never, we never got the right, never were able to get the rights to it because, you know, it costs money to do that when you're, when you're working out of a 50 seat house. Sometimes you can't afford Martin McDonough plays. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, um, I, so, so this is the first movie that McDonough has made that is, that echoes, that goes back to the McDonough, the playwright, because, Three Billboards and Seven Psychopaths and uh, In Bruges are kind of nothing like the Irish, good old-fashioned Irish plays that he wrote. And, and again, I love those three movies. I mean, please, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, you, know, he's, he's, you know, he's an incredible uh, director. But this, this goes back to, the, to, the, to playwright uh, Martin McDonough. And everybody mentioned what it's about. Everybody knows what it's about. And, it, and it's gaining steam uh, because so many people have been watching it over the I can't tell you the number of people I've seen and talked to over the holidays because it was on HBO who made it like a holiday movie to watch. I just mm. thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, and somehow that makes sense. 
Um, it's the, the, all the performances are amazing in it. And, uh, like I love, I've loved Colin Farrell has been one of my favorite actors. I mean, for 20, over 20 something years, I've loved him. And, uh, to see the year that he's had, and especially this performance, it's so heartbreaking and beautiful and funny and his eyebrows rule and everything about, <laughs> uh, everything about it is great. And of him and Brendan Gleeson, obviously we all know how amazingly special they were and the chemistry that they had in, in Bruges, which is an incredible film. Um, everything about it, the portrait of Ireland at that time and during that civil war, and just the great, incredibly fun and interesting characters that populate this fictional town of Inisharan uh, are so memorable, from the fucking pub owner to his brother to the asshole cop uh, to the guy who thinks that both his father and mother were run over by a bread truck. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, just the the crazy old goofy witch who lives on the... I mean... Everything adds to such a beautiful, detailed, wonderful, character-driven experience. This is fucking screenwriting at its best, man. I mean, this is the, you know, this is when people want to write great screenplays. This is how you do it, man. This is how you do it. And as great as everybody is in this movie, fucking Carrie Condon comes in and goddamn steals it. And, I, and here's the weird thing about Carrie Condon. The last time she was in a movie with Colin Farrell, he punched her in the face. It's yes. Uh, and that happened to her by Sam Rockwell in Three Billboards. So I get, I don't know what the deal is with her getting, why would you want to punch Carrie Condon in the face? Oh, but no. she gets her nose smashed in by, by Sam Rockwell in Three Billboards and, and in intermission by, by Colin Farrell. Anyway, she, as everybody knows, she plays this sister. If she doesn't win Best Supporting Actress this year, I'm telling you, I'm taking hostages. That, that's, that's all there is to it. She's incredible, and she's always been good. She's you know, obviously been in a ton of stuff. This is the 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 role that is going to get her an Oscar. Everything about the Banshees of Inchiran is amazing. Uh, the most Irish movie ever made. So there you go. Uh, that's my number two. All right, Eric, number two. Uh, my number two is Sarah Polly's Women Talking, uh, an absolutely uh, devastating uh, piece of work that uh, could have been very stagey, but Polly finds ways to insert the things that have happened to these women and uh, bring it to life in very brief snippets that encapsulate the horror that they have been living through and watching it uh, a second time uh, over the holidays uh, just really brought to life just how much purpose there is to every single line reading in this movie. Uh, Everything that these women are talking about and debating and you see in just in every line reading, either they're trying to mask the pain or unleash the pain and the angst and the horror and the things that they have lived, lived through on this, uh, you know, this religious colony that they're a part of. And the, for me, the best ensemble of the year uh, with Rudy Mara and Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy, uh, Judith Ivy is fantastic in this movie, Sheila McCarthy and, uh, and and then Ben Wishaw as this guy taking the meeting, the minutes of this meeting and the relationship, the friendship that he has with Rooney Mara just absolutely broke my heart. Uh, I, I think this movie is uh, emotionally rich and uh, purposeful and uh, everyone in this movie is fantastic. Sarah Polly is absolutely one of my favorite filmmakers. I've been waiting for her to make another movie since Stories We Tell. Uh, and uh, I hope that she continues to find projects like this that uh, are, are as great as the other ones that she's done. Women Talking is my number two. Well, I mean, she had some serious um, 
personal issues um, between yeah. movies. Um, and and um, you know, it's, it's the, the personal story about why it took her so long to make a movie is uh, sort of devastating and fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, as to wh- as to why she said why she it took so long to make a movie. So um, okay, uh, number two is uh, Steve. Steve, go ahead. Number two, uh, Banshees of Inisherin. We have another match. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't. Want, I wanted to save this one. No, but no, I don't have much more to add to it <laughs> other than other than I, I will say that upon the additional viewings, I realized that how visually bleak the film is, but. McDonough finds a way to also make like accentuate the beauty in that bleakness. Like there's something to something really mesmerizing about how, how empty things are in this place. And so, and, and and he finds the beauty in even the like ugliest people. And I don't mean physically ugly. I mean, just like some of the ugliest characters in this thing. And, um, but it's, you know, like you said, it's also a, a depiction of like desperation and pain and, you, it, it's kind of hard not to come out of this movie thinking to yourself, well, are there people in my life that are bringing me down? <laughs> like, are there, is there anyone like that? Or would I, or am I on the other side where I would yeah. be completely crushed <laughs> or am yeah. I completely, cru- am I the one bringing someone down or yeah, 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 would yeah. I be crushed if someone made a decision like this about me? So like you, you kind of can't help it. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, that, those are some of the things I, I pulled out of repeat viewings of this, but yeah, I don't think I have much more to say than other than it's like, yeah, obviously one of the greatest movies of the year. So I think I, I think the I think the the three movies that the three of us can, uh, I think the, the well the two movies that we can all agree upon, uh, in intensity would be After Sun and the Banshees. I think those mm-hmm. are the those are the two movies that we can probably agree upon in that regard. Okay, uh, number one, my favorite movie of the year it comes as no surprise. I've only been talking about it since fucking May, um, <laughs> and and people are like, shut up already. Um, about it, uh, but I, I felt the need to champion this movie because um, you guys were smart enough to show it at your festival, but it barely got a release. Um, played the music box, uh, Steve, mm-hmm. for a week and nowhere um, else. <laughs> yes. Nowhere else. Uh, and we small... had to chase. We had to track. We had to like chase it down. Like yeah. that. Like we. It's only because only because me and Ryan loved it so much that we were like, we just let's just play it for a week. Let's just yeah. get it in here and squeeze I, it in. I yeah. showed up. I showed up three times that week. Thank you yeah. very much. Um, <laughs> it, a small a small film company called Momentum picked it up. Uh, it is on VOD. You can see it on streaming services. You got to pay, I think, an extra like three, four bucks or something to rent it. Um, but it's available, and it's called To Leslie, which features the finest performance that any human has given this year, and that's Andrea Riceboro. <laughs> um, it was mentioned already before, uh, based on a true story. The 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 person who wrote this uh, movie, it's based on his relationship with his mother, who actually did win the lottery in a small town in Texas and blew all the money because of her alcoholism. And it's about her clawing back and having second chances. And it's about redemption. And it's not an easy path. That's one of the things. This is the most um, one of the most realistic portrayals of alcoholism I've ever seen. Uh, I was personally devastated and affected by it. Every single time I watch it, it knocks me. I don't know how many times I've seen it now. Um, it's in double digits at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Mark Marin, who is incredible in it. Again, Allison Janney, uh, Stephen Root are you know mm-hmm. are, are are in this movie. They also put up money to get the movie made. Uh, Michael Morris, who has directed a lot of amazing television, uh, directed this movie and directed the hell out of it. Um, it's a powerful movie. It is beautiful. And the last scene in this movie, I can't stand it. I just can't. I mean, <laughs> fucking kills me. And um, it's a great film, a beautiful movie, a very realistic and powerful portrayal of addiction and alcoholism. And I can't say enough about Andrea Riceboro's performance. I mean, truly, 
Uh, one of my favorite performances maybe I've ever seen. It is truly a performance for the ages. And again, as we mentioned, she had an amazing year. She was in uh, Please Baby Please. She was in the Matilda musical, which she's <laughs> hilarious in. Yeah. Um, and she was in uh, Amsterdam, and I loved her in Amsterdam. Uh, been a strong year for her. A strong every year for me is a strong year for her. I think she's one of the <laughs> greatest actresses on the planet who is absolutely a chameleon. You do not recognize uh-huh. her. Like, I was like, wait a minute. She was in... Uh, Oblivion. I totally forgot that she was speaking of Tom Cruise, that she was in Oblivion. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. And I remember the first time that I really, because I remember for her in Birdman, but the first time I really was like, whoa, was Mandy, was the, the movie Mandy. And I've liked mm-hmm. her, you know, I've liked her in everything. But this thing, the performance in this movie, incredible. And uh, that night that I saw it at the film festival, I had to walk around the block. I couldn't talk to you guys. You saw me. I walked out. I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't fucking speak. I literally could not speak. I was like, I'll be back. And I just walked around Southport and cried. So um, an incredible movie. To Leslie, my favorite movie of the year featuring the best performance that any human gave. Uh, so that's my number one, To Leslie. All right, Eric, what's your number one? Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, my number one, uh, <laughs> Nick, uh, all, the, all the praise is about to come crashing down on this. Uh, my number one is Tar. Uh, Todd Field's film uh, that I felt, you know, looking at, at this, looking back on this year and all the things that I've been talking about uh, on, on the show today, uh, this film to me brought together all of the great stuff that I have talked about with all these other movies. Uh, it is a remarkable character study. It is a remarkable reflection of times that we live in. Uh, a film that puts us inside the head of someone very high up in uh, the creative power structure and putting us in that mindset of witnessing wrongdoings, uh, but through the, through the prism of someone who doesn't realize or doesn't care that they're doing anything wrong. Uh, and uh, Kate Blanchett, there's not enough adjectives to describe what she does. And I think that there are great elements of mystery in this film. There are elements that play like a horror film. Uh, and I think it ultimately leads up to, I think, one of the most hilarious uh, and rightfully devastating final shots uh, of the year. Uh, Tar is a film that I did not stop thinking about uh, after I saw it. And uh, I'm sorry to say, Nick, it is my number one film of the year. All right. <laughs> don't apologize. Yeah, no, don't apologize. <laughs> hey, don't apologize. Yeah. You didn't You didn't make the fucking movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Damn uh, it. <laughs> Steve, go ahead. Number one. Uh, my number one is—I mean, I already said before—it's Megan. I mean, that's next year. That's, that's right. That's, Wait, well, that's I'm sorry. You were, you were breaking up a little bit. One more time. You were breaking up. A said, bit. Oh, I said my number one movie is uh, Megan. Oh, I'm like, oh wait, no, that's. This oh year. no, Never it's mind. not Megan. Okay, right. sorry. Okay, anyway. Um, okay, so my, my actual number one is uh, Park Chan Wook's decision to leave. Um, and I got to admit, I, I was thinking about it. Like, why did I pick? Why did I land on this one? It's the screenplay more than anything. Has he made better movies? Of course he has, but that not like I don't think I saw a better one this year. Um, I I I was just sort of mesmerized by the structure of the film and how it's basically a film noir, um, but it's it feels just so much deeper than that, and it 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 sells this love story, it sells the murder story, it sells like the mystery. Yeah, all the parts work, and they, and they, and there are times when I was like genuinely like, "What the hell is going on right now?" But it all comes together in the end, really beautifully, flawlessly, very satisfyingly. Um, and yeah, it's it's just like it's about a lot of it's about the the dumb shit that men will do because they're because of desire, and um, and I think the leads are great. 
Um, it's it's like certainly the best film I saw from South Korea this year, and there are a lot of great choices. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's I just it's the complete package for me. But it started with the screenplay. That's really what kind of kind of wrote me in initially. And then it, upon repeat viewings, it's all the other pieces also match the screenplay. So yeah, okay. it's decision to leave. All right, there you go. I think all that's right, on Mo- I think it's on Mubi. I think that's where you can is find it? it. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's correct. It's on Mubi. Yes. All right, a, a good film. I didn't make my list, but I but a, but a, but a, a good film from a great director. A great director. Yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting lists there. All right, uh, let's fly through our worsts, shall we? Um, Wait a second. <laughs> and, uh, no, from from number twenty to number one, and we're not going to comment on them. We'll just you know we might comment here and there a little bit uh, on them, but you'll hear on my list. You'll hear some of the ones that were already mentioned by Eric and Steve. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so here's number 20, it's from number 20, meaning terrible to number one, meaning worst movies of the year. Number 20, bullet train, number 19, good night, mommy. Ugh. number 18. I don't know. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with horror fans this year. Barbarian number 18, uh, number 17. Sorry guys. Cha-cha real smooth. Number 16, Firestarter. <laughs> number 15, top gun maverick. Number 14, marry me. Number 13, Ambulance. Number 12, Black Light. (laughs) Liam Neeson's. Uh, Number 11, Pray for the Devil. Uh, Okay, number 10, 10 worst movies of the year. Number 10 is Morbius. Number 9, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Number 8, Moonfall. Number 7, Sorry Guys, I Love My Dad. Uh, Number 6, Sorry Eric, Tar. Number 5, Avatar, The Way of the Water. Uh, number four, Elvis. Uh, number three, and again, I am astonished and disappointed in my horror brethren, but fuck Terrifier 2. Number three is Terrifier <laughs> 2. Number two, speaking of bad horror, all jacked up and full of worms, number two. Nah. Uh, number one, the worst goddamn movie I've seen all year, and I've seen a lot of shitty movies, uh, Mac and Rita. Unbelievable. <laughs> the body-switching movie with Diane Keaton is number one. All right, Eric, your top oh. 20 worst going from bad to worse. Yes, uh, my number 20 is Elvis. 19 is The Bubble. 18, The oh, 355. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 17, Alone Together. Uh, 16, Blacklight. Uh, 15, VHS 99. Uh, 14, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Uh, 13, Thor, Love and Thunder. 12, Unhuman. Uh, 11, The Minute You Wake Up Dead. Uh, 10, my 10 worst films of the year. Uh, Russell Crowe's Poker Face. Uh, number I didn't nine. even see that. Didn't even see that one. Oh, oh, oh don't. Yeah. Uh, number oh, nine, where the, where the Crawdads Sing. Uh, number eight, The Cellar. Number seven, Private Property. Number six, Moonfall. Uh, number five, Halloween Ends. Number four, Easter Sunday. Uh, number three, Win a Trip. To Brown Town. Uh, number, <laughs> number two, Luckiest Girl Alive. And number one, Firestarter. Ah, okay. Okay, I have to admit, I didn't rank mine. All right. But it does, let's just face it. For the most part, it does, the ranking doesn't matter. Except uh, there is a, I have one match. Because I know what my worst movie was. So all let right. me just, I'll just go, I'll just read all the ones and I'll save that one for the end. Okay. Right. Uh, so these are not ranked. Uh Halloween Ends, Firestarter, The Bubble, uh, Pinocchio, meaning the Zemeckis Pinocchio, Morbius, 
Mother Schmuckers, Jurassic World Dominion, Ticket to Fucking Paradise. Oh, man. Uh, I forgot about I that one. I can't Holy believe shit. that's not on your list. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my How did that God. not make your list? Oh, my God. All right. Well, look, here's um, the bullet train is off. Bullet train is off. I think this one's right under Mech and Rita. Anyway, oh, so, um, okay, Where the Crawdads Sing Blacklight, Minions Rise of Gru, oh. VHS 99, Alone Together, Easter Sunday. The, okay, this is a documentary, which I can't believe there's a doc on here. The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, oh, yeah. Gar- yeah. Total yeah. Garbage. Yep. Marry Me, and I'm just going to fucking say it, forgive me, Chicago people, but there's a movie called Relative that I threw on here that I they all seem to be sold on. I thought it was not good at all. Uh, and yes, yeah, I haven't, worst... I, I, I haven't, <laughs> by the way, I haven't told my friends who are in that that I hated it. Now they know. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so... And, and I know people in All Jacked Up, too, which is really, yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Um... And then, and then my least, my the worst movie of the year is absolutely Mac and Rita. Oh, okay, my God. absolutely Mac and Rita. Unbelievable. <laughs> Which I didn't Eric, see. Just for the Eric record, yes. I've not seen. Eric, Eric, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it would have been all three of us. I guarantee. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. Firestarter is very, yeah, very entrenched no, in Firestarter. I understand. I completely yeah. understand. And by the way, um, I now officially like Halloween Ends. I officially like it. Oh, I, I liked it before. I did, but not as much. You know, like I was like, eh, yeah. I don't know. But now I actually like it. I actually, Fuck if him. I were. Uh, <laughs> I although, although, man. <laughs> although, Nick, I will say my favorite kill of the year is, as they call it, the bad babysitter death at the beginning <laughs> of Halloween. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it was the Halloween most. Ends, it, of, of, yeah. of, the, of the terrible Halloween trilogy that David Gordon Green is responsible for, it's the most David Gordon Green-like. I mean, right. it's a, it's a David Gordon except for the except yeah. for the Laurie Strode shit. It's a David Gordon Green movie. All the all the uh, Cunningham stuff. It's David Gordon Green. Uh, I guess you're yeah. excited for The Exorcist then. Uh, right. Well, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> now, speaking of which, let's let's fly down some titles that we're looking forward to. We are now in 2023, and uh, we are gonna. I'll, I'll rattle off a bunch of titles that I'm looking forward to. Stuff that I'm looking forward to, and I just pulled them out. Uh, Cocaine Bear. I mean, I mean, hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. That's right. Um, I'll just fly through them, and you know, uh, uh, Evil Dead Rises. I thought the trailer looked great. Um, Creed three, John Wick four, Renfield. Uh, I don't give a shit. Fast X. I always look forward to those movies, and then <laughs> it'll turn out to be dumb. Uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, because I thought that uh, mm-hmm. that the first animated uh, Spider Verse movie was terrific, and one of the few. Oddly, I'm looking forward to a fucking comic book movie, but I really <laughs> loved that. I really loved it. it's my fa- I think it's my outside of Spider Man two. It's my favorite Spider Man movie. Uh, the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning movie. Uh, Barbie. Uh, Challengers. Uh, Luca Guadagnino's next movie with Zendaya. Um, yes. and, and then, of course, my boyfriend, Timothy Chalamet, has got a double. Uh, he's in Wonka, which I can't wait to see. And uh, it's for me, I can't. I'm just living and breathing until Dune Part 2 comes out. So, um, <laughs> And uh, Eric, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Uh, of course, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, Oppenheimer, I'm looking forward to. Uh, you already mentioned Barbie and the Spider-Man movie, uh, both of those. Um, I'm looking forward to Creed 3. I'm very curious about that. I'm a fan of the first two Creed movies. Uh, Pixar's Elemental. I'm hoping that draws some inside-out vibes for us. Uh, and that's a, and, and, oh, and Last, Voyage of, Last Voyage of the Demeter uh, with uh, our good friend David Desmalchin. Uh, yeah. that, uh, I, I, that looks... I mean, the, the, the premise of it and the director behind it, I'm very yeah. curious about it. Yeah. 
David's a great guy. Unfortunately, he got killed in the first Dune, so he won't be in the. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steve, what are your choices for things? Uh, some of these I'm looking to. forward to just because I know they're going to piss you guys off. So let me just. Uh, <laughs> but I but I, well, you mentioned Infinity Pool before. That's Brandon Cronenberg's movie. Yeah. Uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Why not? Um, Cocaine Bear. John Wick Four. Uh, there's one with the title "The Pope's Exorcist." I'm very curious about that. Um, <laughs> Renfield. <laughs> Uh, Evil Dead Rise. I'm ex- I'm ex- I think the only comic book movie on my list is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, uh, and oh no, and Spider Man also. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elemental. Wes Anderson's Asteroid City has a hell of a cast. It's oh Mission yeah, Impossible. shit. Forgot about um, Asteroid City. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. We should say. Uh, right. Oppenheimer, Barbie, Challengers. Oh, uh, Nick, there's a uh, Please Don't Destroy have a movie. Oh, I, I know. Excited for I know. that. I can't. I can't <laughs> uh, Dune Part even. Two, Wonka, and then uh, my last two are there's a Chicken Run sequel called Dawn of the Nugget that I'm excited about. And is it? Wait, uh, wait, wait. Is it? Is it the? Is it the Wallace and Gromit guys? Yeah, I think so. I'm Fuck hey. Sure oh, I didn't know about <laughs> that. Yeah, God damn. Yeah. I don't even know about this movie. Whoa. November, November 10th I got here. Oh, please. Um, please. I Holy yeah. cow. Yes. Put it on the list. <laughs> and then uh, and then my final one is the, the filmed version of the musical, The Color Purple, because I think they got all the people from the Broadway cast yes. in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. Um, I just saw one of, the, one of them's on Broadway right now in um, the piano lesson. So... Um, very excited, and that does yeah. That's like I think they just finished shooting that actually. So uh, anyway, right. so those are my those are mine. All right, cool. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and we will cover it every two weeks here uh, on the show. Uh, thank you guys for being uh, for being great this whole year. Um, it is uh, next uh, next week actually. Uh, it'll be one year uh, that we, that I've been doing the podcast, and uh, wow. thank you guys for being a part of it. Yeah. So. Well, congratulations, cool. man. All right, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I'll see you guys soon. And uh, thank you for the summation, the best and worst of 2022. Eric, thank you, Steve. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. All right. There they are. That's uh, Steve and Eric and uh, the year in movies. Went a little long uh, today, but we had to talk about a whole year's worth of movies. And uh, check out all the movies that we uh, that we liked and disliked this year. Uh, and uh, there you go. Um, I thank you for listening so much. Uh, Esmeralda will be back on the next episode, as will uh, Dan Feinberg for our bi-weekly TV talk from The Hollywood Reporter and The Fine Print. You want to be a sponsor? Sales at RadioMisfits.com. You want to be a part of the Nick T Podcast? Leave your voicemail messages at 773-417-6948. Email us, Nick D Podcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, Ed, and everyone at Radio Misfits. And rate and review us on every platform. Let's hear your feedback. And we'll see you Tuesday, January 17th at Zanies in Rosemont for the Nick D Podcast Live. Get your tickets now, rosemont.zanies.com. And we'll catch you next time on the Nick D Podcast. <laughs>